Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Pulled. Blues can't get it. Jets bring it in and shoots and scores. That'll do it. Jets beat the Blues 4-2 tonight in Winnipeg. Blues allow 30 shots on goal for the fifth consecutive game. And the record drops to 500 at 2-2 and 1. We're not moving it quick enough a lot of times. We're not giving it to the D. They're wide open. We gotta move it. We gotta give it to the D more. We gotta we gotta forward check harder and win more battles on our forward check so we can have more possession time. That's, that's basically it. That was Craig Berube last night after the game. That voice you heard was Chris Kerbers as well on the call last night right here in your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario until 2 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Alex, another rough one last night. 4-2 loss on the road at Winnipeg. Team is now already in Calgary where it is a balmy 10 degrees outside with 2 feet of snow. Better than Winnipeg. Love to see it. Alex, there was a little bit of discussion there at the end from Chris Kerber on the number of shots that the Blues allowed. I'm not even so much worried about that. A lot of those are coming from the outside. That's something that you're going to live with with this defense. The problem that I have is the other number of shots from that game last night. It's the offensive shot attempts. 20 shots on goal, man. Again? We're doing this again? My dear friend Alex Ferrario yesterday told us on the show at the end of the day, hey, this is another game where your offense should be able to get back on track. You've told me this now, Alex, and you are a smart hockey man. I believe that you have dove into, you've been diving into the numbers. Delvin. Delvin. Delvin Perez. (laughs) I've been doving into them numbers. At least you're not farting over there. You've been diving into the numbers, you've been breaking down the film, and you came to the conclusion, Arizona, Winnipeg, these are two teams you could take advantage of offensively. Well, I haven't seen a whole lot of that from this here Blues team, Alex. I might not speak well, but I watch well. And when I watch, this team doesn't seem to be putting a whole lot of opportunities on net. What the hell is going on? I... Look, it's exactly what Craig Berube says, and I'll use his quote from the Arizona Coyotes game. Our passing is atrocious. Did I pronounce that right? TPK's in my own head now. Look, there's no offensive. There's no zone time. There's no push in the offensive zone for this team. It's more or less you get it in, you take a shot, and you're coming back the other way. Jeremy Rutherford put this one out there, what was it, earlier today or last night, of the breakdown with the Blues, and they're being out-attempted 336 to 234 in five ma- in five games so yeah. far. That's I'm no so hockey bad. expert. Like, Doesn't he, sound ideal. He broke it down like 64 Dallas, this is shot attempts, 
Blues with 48. 65 for Seattle. Blues with 57. 69 for Arizona. 45 for the Blues. 83 for Pittsburgh. 45 for the Blues. 59 for Winnipeg. 39 for the Blues. It's just getting like decreasingly worse as we go on. And there's just there's no ability to get the puck back. That's what I was talking about last night on post game. Like there it goes in, you'll have somebody that goes after it and then the other team has two guys on it and the next thing you know it's coming the other way. Steve Ott has talked about puck support, 10 foot support. There was no 10 foot support. Darren Pang used to break it down as when you're watching it on television if there are five guys in your camera in the screen on the television, you know they're playing well. And that game last night, that's not the case. I saw one. Probably. And then on top of that, you add in the defensive zone turnovers that took place last night. Now you got a group of guys who are gassed on the ice. And when they get their scoring opportunities, they've already been on the ice for a minute and 25 seconds. And they got to get a line shift. And by the time you get the line shift out, well, then the next team's already pressuring you into the zone. It's a vicious cycle right now. And all of this stems from nobody Winning puck battles in the offensive zone. So, Alex, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a numbers nerd. Now, well, you're not I'm a mad at a lot of the numbers nerds right now. The What they're doing with baseball, what they're trying to do with the NFL, where ESPN put out this stupid ranking yesterday, where they're trying to tell me that Tank Dell is a better wide receiver than Tyreek Hill. Stop it. Numbers nerds, you're going too far. However, in this specific area, I am still a numbers nerd. I think Corsi rating matters. I think having more offensive opportunities than your opponent, more puck control than your opponent is generally considered to be a good thing, right? There are places where it can be kind of relied upon too much. I think Dom over at The Athletic, he looks at some of this stuff a little too much, maybe. Nerd. However, when you are historically bad in this regard, I think it matters. The Blues so far through their first five games, Alex, have their fewest shots on goal through five games since 2005. In fact, there is only one other season in franchise history in which the Blues had fewer shot attempts through five games on net than what they do this year. That would be 2019 when they won the cup. 1978. Oh, no. (laughs) They finished with the number two overall pick that year. In 2005, they finished with the number one overall pick that year. Oh, that was the Eric Johnson year. Yeah. (laughs) Crap. (laughs) The other two seasons when they were this bad at putting pucks on net, you finished with the top two pick. So when we're sounding the alarms here of, Guys, this is really problematic. That's why. Because the only company that you're keeping right now is two of the worst teams that we've ever seen in the history of the Blues organization. That's where we're okay, at right now. Okay, let's not get too panicked, BK. I'm panicked, dude. <laughs> like, come I am on, man. really worried about this, and I don't think I'm overreacting any longer. I now think it is t- time to sound the alarm bells because if you can't score... You can't win. The draft is coming. The draft is coming. The math is mathing for me right now, and you are not putting pucks on net, dude. It's bad, and it's boring, and it sucks to watch. It's boring, and you better get used to that one because that's just in place. You want to know the part that's most concerning to me? The third Is that you missed no, out on no. Bedard because well, you did this a year too late? Yeah, that's that's also very true. Dang it. Well, but you could get a t- good defenseman in the top three if you decide to go that route. No, that's here's like 10. Of, I, I'm already looking at the draft. It's like 10 of the top 15 uh, prospects are on defense. Let's go. Here's the, th- here's the part that's concerning to me. The first game against Dallas, you entered the third period in a 1-1 tie. 
you have three shots on goal. Seattle Kraken game, you enter the third period, one shot or one one tie. You have 11 shots on goal. Third period, you enter it down by two, four shots on goal. Pittsburgh game, you enter it up by a goal, up by two goals, you have four shots on goal. Last night, you're down by a goal, you have four shots on goal in the third period. Oh, yeah, period. they've had four shots on goal in the third period in each of the last three games. That's four. problematic. Total in the third period. Do you know how hard that is? That's problematic because when you're down by a goal, tied, there's no push to try and take the edge. It feels a lot like this Blues team is playing playing this this I don't want to make a mistake on the defensive zone so I'm not going to take a chance on the offensive zone and I'm just going to wait for my chances to come to me that's fine if you're elite defensively but the problem with this is you're not <laughs> you turn the puck over in the defensive zone which means you're 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 scrambling to try and make up for the mistakes you're making in the defensive zone, which means you have zero opportunities in the offensive zone. And when you get those opportunities, you're missing the net. So all of this. Yeah, I can understand the red alarm bells. Now, I'm the positive <laughs> one. I'm the sane one on this show. So I want to keep here and saying that the Blues will be fine. But do you believe it? Say it with your chest if you really believe it, because I don't know if you believe it yeah. this time Look, around. man, I... Uh, I'm, I'm People should keep listening. You should definitely tune in for all 82 games right here in your home of the Blues 101 I, ESPN. The season's going to be interesting. I think they can get it right. Herbs and Joey are super entertaining. <laughs> Alex does a great job with pre and post. I believe they can get it right. I'm very concerned that when you do start getting those offensive opportunities, you don't have the guys who can actually put it in the back of the net. And that's my concern. Feels problematic. Very problematic. They, they feel like right now a team that is like feels like they're like a two goal underdog, and they just sit back defensively and go, "Oh man, I hope we get to overtime." That's what it feels like right now. Yeah, they're the soccer team that's yeah. just parking the bus. Yeah, they're gonna put they're all like, eleven. Yeah. They're putting base the soccer team that puts eleven guys in the box and is like, "Okay, score on this." And you hope like hell you win in transition. Yeah, if that's the only opportunity right now that the Blues seem to have to score. Last night, by the way, credit where it's due. It was not all bad last night. Mostly, mostly bad. Yeah. Not all bad though. I thought Jordan Kyrou looked awesome again last night. I think he's been great so far this year. I thought Brandon Saad put together a really nice performance. I think it is past time, honestly, to give Jake Neighbors an opportunity to be a consistent top nine winger. This is no shot against Sammy Blay. He's not a top nine player. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. He's making like a million bucks. It was a good trade. It's a good signing. Bringing him back, there was nothing wrong with that. But put him on the fourth line. Let him hit ever, have everything that moves and let Jake Neighbors get those opportunities as a top nine winger. He's drives, driving offense in a way that Sammy Blade just isn't and frankly can't. So I'd like to see more of that. Neighbors had a good game. Kairou, good game. Saad, good game. There were a few things to hold on to where you're like, okay, I can see how this is working. Unfortunately, I can point out all of the things that are going well, and there is so many other things that are going poorly that I can point to. Specifically, yo, man, you and me, we were super excited about Jakub Verona coming into the season. Yeah. He played seven minutes and 49 seconds of even strength ice time last night. Mm -hmm. He had 12 total shifts in the hockey game. For context, Jordan Cairo, 23. This is not going as any of us anticipated. That's a result of the bench shortening. The problem there is when the bench shortens late in a game and you're trying to get back Oscar into it. Oscar Sundquist had 19 shifts. Yeah, you want one of your top guys. Well, the 19 shifts are the penalty kill also for Jake Oscar Sundquist. Jake had 18 shifts. Penalty kill. You're getting penalty kill time. For a minute 32. The problem for Verona is you're in the Mike Hoffman situation where you're not getting number one power play unit time. You're getting two power play unit time and you're not going to see the Kevin ice as Hayes much. Kevin Hayes had 18 shifts. Like it. 
Yeah. There is nothing going right right now with Jakub Verana, and this is supposed to be a guy that's helping you with the goal production. Uh, some, his only ability, really, as some a player, of that's on is him, the goal though, man. For sure. I, I mean, like no last doubt. last night, you play seven minutes at even strength, and you have zero shot attempts. Like you've got to start shooting the puck a little bit more. Agreed. However. It's kind of hard to get into a rhythm when I'm out here playing 12 shifts. All the things that people said about Dylan Carlson, they currently apply to Jakub Vrana. You got to let him work through this stuff. Now, if you want to bench him after the turnover, after the penalty, whatever, fine. But eventually, when you're down by a goal or two at the end of this game, he's a guy I want on the ice. Because you have very few players that are capable at any point in time of putting the puck in the back of the net. He's one of them. Yeah. He's a guy that can score 30 goals in a season. And last night, he's not even given the opportunity to do so. I think Craig Burby in general, like, I think this is just not a great team. I think the roster is a part of the, a big part of the problem. But last night, I do think there is there's some fair criticism to go around in terms of how some of these guys are being utilized as well. I think specifically with Jake Neighbors. Jake Neighbors would be at the top of my list. Yakub Verana not really playing last night is also something that I... I find to be a little strange. If I'm going to be optimistic about this, which I will, like they have, they have pieces in place on offense. Like we were all super optimistic about this offense at the end of last year. You're in the same spot at the beginning of this season. It's five games in. I believe you need to, to shuffle up these lines. Like I love the fact that Saad and Thomas and Kyrie have looked good, but that line should stick together. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I move Thomas away from Cairo and see if I could get something going with Robert Thomas elsewhere. Maybe I put Braden Shen in that spot and Thomas plays He's with your Buchnevich. Center, so I had no problem with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, move it around and let Thomas play with Buchnevich. And I thought Kapanen had a good game. Like you're you're gonna have to shuffle up these lines because that Hayes line looked slow. Slow. The fourth line has not been getting much done. Jake Neighbors deserves an opportunity, and frankly, the Thomas and Cairo connection maybe as much as Thomas with Verona. As much as we want Thomas and Cairo to work. Thomas and Cairo, they, they're creating some scoring chances, but they're not creating them to the level that we need them. So maybe you need to split them up and try and divide the wealth rather than put it all on one maybe line. Maybe you say our new top line is Shin, Cairo, and Saad. I would be, have no problem with that. And then Buchnevich, Thomas, and Verana, or Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kapanen. Honestly, I would probably put a Kapanen and Verona with Hayes so I could have some speed and put neighbors with Thomas and Buchnevich. I was going to say neighbors with Thomas and uh, Verana, yeah. actually. And then I would go with Booch, Kapanen, and Hayes. Yeah, I just they practice today at one thirty hour time. I would like to see those lines looking different. I don't think it will, but Ruby's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, and frankly, I think you're going to give it a little bit more time to breathe. But right now, all four lines just don't have that cohesiveness. And I think I would try and switch it up to try and get it going a little bit more. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues off tonight. They're back in action tomorrow in Calgary against the Flames. By the way, you think things are going poorly for the Blues? <laughs> just wait until you hear about what's going on with the Flames. We'll get into that tomorrow on the show. But coming up next... The Diamondbacks are the most shocking World Series participant since blank. You guys can fill in that blank at 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll give you our nominations coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Strike away. Here he comes. Cave, a fly ball to right field. Over is Carroll. He's got it. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are headed to the World Series. The Diamondbacks have won the National League pennant. 
And the Fall Classic will return to the desert for the first time in 22 years. The comeback Diamondbacks, the answer backs, and Arizona will represent the National League in the World Series. What do we think about that? The answer backs. You guys like that? I kind of liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Anderson coming so, up with that one on the fly. I love BA, but I felt like we forced that one. Leave the leave the play on words to the to the pros. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That's what it sounded like yesterday on Turner Sports. As the Arizona Diamondbacks, wow, what a shocking victory here. Win in Game 7 to beat the Philadelphia Phillies. I gave them zero chance. I mean, zero chance to win this series. I thought they would make quick work with it in Philadelphia. You've got Aaron Nola. You've got Zach Wheeler. You've got this star-studded lineup against this upstart Diamondbacks team, which... Hey, man, I'm going to give them a ton of credit. They just did all the little things well, and I don't mean to minimize that at all. Like They finally got back to running, which was nice to see over the last couple of games. That was their identity over the course of the season, and then I think they played scared in the first few games of this series against Philly. They finally got back to their identity. The back end of that bullpen is just completely dominant, and then you've got a few guys in their lineup that broke out at the right time. Cattell Marte, Alex's favorite baseball player for five years, was awesome. He ended up winning the uh, NLCS MVP. Corbin Carroll comes up with some massive plays defensively. They were awesome in this series as well. Just all the little things ended up building into big things. So credit to the Diamondbacks for taking care of business. Alex, when I think about this Diamondbacks team, though, the thing that I think about immediately is how shocking it is that they're here. This is a team that had the worst record of any team to make the postseason. They would have been five games out of the playoffs in the American League side of things. I, I think most people picked the Brewers to beat them in the first round. Then certainly most people picked the Diamondbacks to beat them in the NLDS. And I think everybody believed that the Phillies were going to take care of business in the NLCS against them. And now here they are in the World Series. So for you, Alex, and 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If anybody in our listening audience wants to get in on this conversation as well, the Diamondbacks are the most shocking World Series participant since blank. Fill in that blank. I... There's a lot of teams that come to mind. The Washington Nationals that did it in 2019. Um, I, I mean, Kansas City, your team, when they made it that far into this one, that's another one that comes into mind. The part about Arizona and why they're so different from everybody else is 2019, how did they get there? They were dominant on the pitching side of things. Like Strasburg, Scherzer, uh, Patrick Corbin, you just you couldn't get through them. How did the Kansas City Royals get to that point? Well, they were solid defensively, and they had big-time big, big hitters. This Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, that yeah. was the first of this era. I mean, 2011 Cardinals did it this way. The Royals just did it with three guys I mean, in the back end That game was, you play six innings, and if you don't have the lead, you're good done. Yeah. It's game over. The Arizona Diamondbacks, to me, this season are like death by a thousand cuts. For sure. Like, there's not one thing that I feel like they're elite at other than base running. And, you know, you could be elite at base running, and sometimes that matters, but it doesn't really matter if you're not coming up with hits. But, you know, like, you saw uh, Fat on the uh, mound last night. You've seen Merrill Kelly. Is it not pronounced fat? fat. I'm going to say close. fat because he was fat, <laughs> pH fat or PF fat in that one. You, you, your, your pitching wasn't like overwhelmingly scary like the Philadelphia Phillies where your offense wasn't overwhelmingly scary, but you just knew it was going to be 
it was just going to be a knife fight through something like this. And frankly, they're a very special team in that sense because all of those other surprising teams were dominant in something. I mean, this team freaking cut Madison Bumgarner four games into the season. Like they, he's their highest paid player, by the way. This felt like good for him. This felt like a 2019 Washington National team where you're like, man, they're not going to be any good. You cut Madison Bumgarner. This is again, this is why we had so many conversations early on in the year about the Cardinals. Hey, they're not out of it just yet. They were, Um, but it felt at the time as if they weren't because it was the case for the Nationals. It was a case for the Dodgers. It ended up being the case for the Braves. The Phillies last year fired their manager early on. Like we've seen this in the National League. Teams get off to these weird slow starts or they have this weird middle portion of the season where the Diamondbacks went 16 and 34 over a 50 game stretch. The worst 50 game stretch, according to ESPN stats and info for any World Series team. It it's amazing. I, I I cannot still believe that they are here in the World Series. T-Bone, who was the last one that you were this shocked about? I, I think it's the 2014 Royals because I thought about that Nationals team. But when you look back on that Nationals team, like they had stars. And, but, and when I think about that Royals team, I don't know if those guys were stars until they got to October. For sure. Because like you look at that pitching staff, and that pitching staff was fine. I mean, it was led by James Shield and Jordana Ventura. But they had the bullpen. Like I remember looking at the team in 2014 going, yeah, they got good pitching, but I just looked this up. This their offense had two guys, two guys above above league average in OPS plus, and that was Alex Gordon and Lorenzo Cain. Everybody else was below below league average. And then Mike Mustakis got hot in the yeah, playoffs. Mustakis got hot. Hosmer played pretty well, if I remember correctly. Yep. Like those guys became stars in October, and then as we saw when they left Kansas City, they never really were the same guys outside of being with the they Royals. They were very good, but never great. Exactly. And I, I think that's why I think the 2014 team is the last team that I can think of that would fit this Diamondbacks team. And the Diamondbacks have some resemblance of them, because I think you could argue Shields and Ventura from that team are like Gallon and Merrill Kelly for the Diamondbacks. And then there's kind of like... Vargas is their version of Fott. Yeah, exactly. And then you look at Fat. their bullpen. I don't think it's I don't think it's as deep as that Royals one because they had three just legitimate studs at the back end. But Kevin Ginkle and uh, uh, Paul Seawald have not allowed a run in this postseason. They basically have cut games down to really the only time you're going to catch them is maybe the seventh inning. And that's if and like that was the game last night, by the way. The it, yeah. game last night came down to whether or not the Phillies were going to score in that seventh inning. They weren't able to push any runs across. I think it was one out, two on, if I'm not mistaken in the situation. And they got out of it because Ginkle came in and they shut things down immediately. So that was the game last night. They didn't get to it there. And I looked over at Kara. I said, that's game. The Phillies can't come back at this point because if you didn't get it there, you're not going to be able to do it again because they're going to shut you down to the point where you don't have the middle of your order coming up again. And yeah. you watch that Phillies team just break mentally. Like once they oh, went yeah. to, um, you can feel it. Once, the, even even the uh, atmosphere at the stadium, you could feel the fans were depleted. They after were that. swinging and missing at everything. They were reaching for balls. They were throwing their bats, breaking them. Like you saw that that team was Bone mentally was broke. So mad. Oh, yeah. he was so mad. And, and you can tell, like when you have a team like the Diamondbacks who can basically shut things down with their top two starters for six innings, and then they can shut things down in the eighth and ninth, you leave one inning. That One inning. That's all you have to cover is one inning. Can you figure out that one inning? And as we've seen, they've been able to. They've been using the matchups with Mantiply, Salbrink, uh, the righty that I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. But they've been able to basically cut games down to one inning that can where you can take advantage of their bullpen, and that's it. Now, game, game three, game four, when you get in this World Series, that's when it's going to get interesting because you're going to have fought who they're going to be playing matchups with, and game four is probably going to be a bullpen game. But they are just built to where, okay, we've got two dogs at the front of our rotation, and if we can somehow just scrap and claw, to your point, get a lead in that game and get to that eighth inning, we're going to be fine.
the three most shocking teams that I can remember um, in like the last 15, 20 years, the Royals in 2014, totally with you. They were 48 and 50 through the first 98 games of that season, ended up adding basically nothing. It was Josh Willingham at the trade deadline. That Huge was their ad. big offseason or big trade deadline move. And then they end up going to the World Series and they slugged their way through the first like three rounds of the postseason, find a way to get to the World Series. And then they got Madison Bumgarnered. But that was a team that I think most people nationally were shocked to see their health in Kansas City. Everybody was shocked to see that team. 2015 was a legitimately good team. 2014 just got hot at the right time. They didn't have a 20 home run hitter. Yeah, they, their offense that. was really bad for most of the season. And then they got to the playoffs. It was like, holy bleep. OK, so this is the talent they were talking about. Other than that, I think the 2007 Rockies felt pretty shocking at the time to get there, and then they just got boat raced by the Red Sox. Um, and before then, I, I think you have to go back to the 2006 Cardinals. Now, the difference between that Cardinals team, though, and what we're watching right now, the Cardinals team was just hurt most of the year. They didn't have their dudes. And so, yeah, you look at their record from the regular season, and you're like, man, that was not a very good playoff team. But then you look at the talent that was assembled. It was basically the same team as they had had in 2003 through 2005 when they were one of the best teams in baseball. They just got hurt. They didn't have the same dudes on the field on a regular basis throughout the course of the season. I mean, you guys know the story. And then they got hot at the right time. They got guys back. They were healthy. And they end up going to the World Series. So that team felt shocking, but it probably wasn't as shocking as what we're watching right now because this team didn't get guys back from the IL or anything. They just played really well. They just played really well. They took advantage of the rules as they are stated right now, and now they're in the World Series. And they took advantage of a team that choked. If we're being honest, part of the story here is that Philadelphia choked. Craig Kimbrell was terrible and allowed the Diamondbacks back into the series yep. over a two-game stretch. That's really where the where the season flipped and the series flipped uh, for the for the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, and, and I think when you look at this Diamondbacks team, like to your point, like you look at that 06 team, they had like Hall of Famers on it. I think Roland was on that team, Pujols on that team, Molina on that team. The Rockies didn't really, I mean, Todd Helton, arguably a Hall of Famer. Uh, but then, like, you look at this team, like, it's hard to project forward who's a Hall of Fame player on this Arizona Diamondbacks team. Carroll. Madison Bumgarner. Maybe. I mean, we're still very young in his career now. Um, but, what? Uh, He's going to be a four-time World Series champion. But Bumgarner will be a, I, I think, will, should and will be a Hall of Famer. But he's, he's not on the team, man. Yeah. No, he's on the team. <laughs> He's but, on the damn payroll. The payroll. <laughs> We're paying him our money. He's on the damn team. But, but to my point, like this is a team that has felt just good all year long. And really, to, to me, the upsets over Milwaukee and to the Dodgers, like I know a lot of people look at those like, oh my gosh, these are, look, at it's an upset. Like you could see how they could beat them. Yeah. The, I the, did not see a scenario. Really helped. And that's yeah. the similarity to the Royals as well. The Royals in 2014 went through the Angels, who had a few stars, but we know the Angels are not a particularly well-constructed team, and that pitching staff was awful. Like, if yeah. you go back and look at the 2014 Angels, you're like, how did this—I t- think they won 100 games that year. Like, how, how did this happen? That that doesn't even make sense. So that was part of the story there as well. But um, I think part of this was the path. Yeah, the path certainly helped the Diamondbacks. If you—I do think people are mad online about the format. Again, I don't want to get too far into it. But if you want to change the format, I think there's two things that you do to prevent people from being so mad. One— I think you reseed after the wild card round. Agreed. I think the Diamondbacks should have had to play the Bre- uh, the Braves. That should it should have been the Braves versus the Diamondbacks in the DS, and it should have been the Phillies versus the Dodgers. And I think you would have ended up with the Phillies versus the Braves in the NLCS as a result of that. Who knows? Maybe the Diamondbacks would have beat the Braves, but it would have been a much more difficult path. The other thing that I think that you should do, and I heard this on the Athletics Baseball podcast, and I think it's a great idea because now it just shuts everybody up. They should give the top two division winners the opportunity to decide, do you want to play in the
third round, or do you want the buy? You choose. Because then everybody can shut up about the fact that the rest is something Whoa. that is bad because teams will choose the buy. They will. 100% of teams will say, yeah, we don't want to play in the roulette game that is the wild card series. It's not worth it for us. We want the buy because we want to get out of the 50-50 proposition that is a wild card series. So they will choose the buy. They will advance to the NLDS immediately. And then we don't have to hear about that anymore. But the biggest change that I would make is just you got to reseed after the wild card round. And if you do that, Diamondbacks may still be here, but it would have been a different path for sure. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. But next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, boys. The NFL trade deadline is now one week away. It seems like there are some names that are notable that are starting to become legitimate trade targets. We'll talk about some of those next year on 101 ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with this, guys. The Browns have signed PJ Walker to their active roster. Oh, good. Wait. Does... Does Deshaun Watson want to play football? I have a a question. (laughs) Hasn't he started two games for him? How did you just get signed? The NFL's rules of the practice squad are weird now. Basically, you can elevate a player multiple times over the course of the season. Like, technically, Daryl Henderson was on the Rams practice squad on, like, Saturday. So everybody that picked up, what is it, Zach Evans? I was one of those people. Friday night, you're like, wait. Hold on, Zach Evans is their third string running back, but they have no other running backs on the roster. It's like, yeah, 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 because they've got Royce Freeman and Daryl Henderson on the practice squad. It's like, yeah, but one of those guys on the active roster, the other guys aren't. I don't understand. The, the NFL is weird now, but Good. yeah, the way that it works, long story short, too long, didn't read. P.J. Walker is, appears to be the starter for the Browns now. Too long, didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> Does Deshaun Watson want to play? No, man. Does he just want to get his two hundred million dollars and go home? Did any? Hey, don't blame him. Did anybody else uh, think when when Schefter tweeted out what his injury was? God, what was it? Where like um, um, Ron Burgundy and Anchorman? Mine, Tommy. No, sorry, it was actually my shoulder. My, my shoulder hurts. Ron Burgundy and Anchorman. When what's her face walks in and he's doing bu- uh, uh, iron pumps, he's like, oh, sorry, my. Uh, Fabulosis over here on the right shoulder. You know, it just gets worked out, so I got to make sure I pump some iron. His agent needs to shut the hell up. Stop talking, man. We know. Yeah, okay, he's hurt. Cool. I watched the quarterback documentary in which Kirk Cousins could barely breathe on the field for like seven consecutive weeks because he had some kind of broken or fractured ribs, and the dude was going out there behind an offensive line that was held together with toothpicks and bubble gum. He was like, hey, I got to go out there for my team. 
I respect the hell out of Kirk Cousins. You know who I don't respect for a million different reasons? Deshaun Watson. This guy's a bum, man. I'm so I mean, done with him. I mean, he is and a bum. the Browns have no way to get out of this. No. They're stuck. Man. I I loved when it was the press conference last week. Because I, I it felt like a benching last week. That's it what it felt like. They um, couldn't get their story straight. He was yeah. like, oh, the doctor told me not exactly. to go in. And then the head coach comes out and says, yeah, he was medically clear. Yeah. And, he <laughs> goes, and he goes, he's going to start next week. Deshaun Watson comes to the podium and goes, you know, it just depends on how everything feels. It's just like, dude, man, if you don't want to play football, just tell the coaching staff, man. He, he clearly it's doesn't want to play. Yeah, it's bad. It, it's a disaster in Cleveland. They should bench him for the rest of the season. Yeah. They're better with P.J. Walker anyway. I respect the hell out of it if Stefanski did it. They should trade again. Try try to bring back the dude that started for them last year, Jacoby Brissett. He was better. They were better with Jacoby Brissett. Who's he got? Washington. I think he's with Washington. Washington. And they've got Sam Howell, who's just sitting on his butt half the game. Washington ain't going to do that trade. (laughs) Atlanta should be like, we'll take his problems. for Josh Downs. Josh Downs. Josh Downs is a wide receiver. You're going to put a wide receiver as quarterback? Josh Dobbs. Trade for Josh Downs. See if he can play quarterback. Josh Downs, you're going to put a wide receiver? It's not that bad, Josh Downs is significantly better than Deshaun Watson at this point in their respective careers. Significantly better. And it sounds like Kyler Murray's coming back in a couple of weeks. Trade for him. Trade for Kyler Murray. Sure. (laughs) Get both of their miserable behinds. Wow. You're going to trade for the Cardinals quarterbacks. Oh, my God. That quarterback room would be awful. (laughs) I'd feel bad for the quarterbacks, Coach. Cleveland should be one of the best teams in the AFC, but they've got this bum at quarterback. All right, anyways, um, let's get into some more NFL quick hitters. I'm done talking about them. You're angry. Tomorrow night, it's been a weird start to the show, man. You're an angry elf. Actually in a great mood today. Had a good coffee date with my wife this morning. Oh, nice. Yeah, you just leave your kid at home. No, we took him to Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Just holding you accountable, man. Hey, That's no, you know why he went to a coffee shop? So he didn't go home and lay down. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> told Karen's like, I can't go home and sleep. I'm spending money now to avoid the alarm issues. All right. Tomorrow night, Buccaneers on the road at the Bills. Guys, I think this is a must win. For I'm, who? I'm to- yes. <laughs> I think this is a must win for the Buffalo Bills. You cannot lose this game. Thursday night football is weird. They're good. They're Thank God at home. But next week, they're on the road at Cincinnati. Huge game for both teams. That's a Sunday night football game. They're coming off of an atrocious loss at home or on the road against New England. Alex, this is coming off of a terrible performance as well that they probably should have lost against the New York Giants. They should be losers of three straight. They should be three and four on this season so far. Tomorrow night's a must win, right? Absolutely it is. I I mean, and I know Tanner was joking, but both absolutely probably should be. But like I, I view... I view this one as a Buffalo moment where you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, are th- this is the time to prove, like, are you still in the conversation with these top teams in the AFC or are you about to be the fake one out of the group that says, oh, yeah, they're supposed to be the Super Bowl well, we contenders. frauds, but. Well, I don't know if we do because do I, sometimes they feel like they're, like, legit contenders. Oh, they're definitely going to beat one of Cincinnati, Philly, or Kansas City. Like, they yeah. will absolutely do that. And over that's going to be the moment where weeks. we fall for him. No. And then the next. What? Mm-mm. Oh, I'll fall I for him. I know this magician. This time, yeah. <laughs> I know magic's not real. And I know that that bunny was always in that hat. That's what I know. I know these bills are fake. I didn't fake. have a coin in my ear, man. Yeah. It's not real. <laughs> Can't trick me. Or my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, Look over here. This is a must win for them. But I, the reason they lose this game is because they're quarterback. Like if they're gonna lose, it's because Josh Allen sucks. Get the and hell out of here! And by the way, the reason they're gonna win is Josh Allen. Quarterback. Yeah, like that. They, they have clearly a better roster. There's a reason they're favored by eight and a half. They are the better football team. But I don't trust Josh Allen enough to say that I can guarantee they're gonna win that football game. I'm not falling for him again. 
Can I give you guys a bet that I thought about placing last night? Tell me if I'm the dumbest person in the world for placing this. Well, you're the dumbest person in the world for actually thinking you could make a bet. Oh, that's true. I'm actually okay on futures for the most part. It's the it's the game sides that I'm just the worst sports. I, mean, I can't I can't talk trash, neither container after this past week. So Cincinnati right now is six to one to win their division. They are at three and three on the season. Baltimore is currently leading the division at five on two. They have the longest odds Cincinnati does to win the AFC North. I think that's wrong. The New York Jets are currently at four to one to win their division in the AFC East. The Bills, we've all said, are frauds. The Dolphins are atop that division, but that was a big loss for them this past weekend against Philadelphia. Also frauds. The New York Jets are three and three. Here is their upcoming schedule. The Giants, the Chargers, the Raiders. Those are the next three weeks. If they go 3-0 and in that stretch, you are now to 6-3 and on the season with head-to-head matchups over the next two weeks against Buffalo and Miami. If you bet a parlay on the Jets and the Bengals to win their divisions, it is 80-1 right now. 80-1 odds for the Jets to win the AFC East and the Bengals to win the AFC North. Yeah, you're a dummy. Is on that, that ridiculous? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know Miami's still in the East, right? Yeah. Do I care? <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah, you're trying to just lose money over here. Yeah. I mean, if we're setting money on fire, sure, go ahead. Like but it's eighty to one odds. You can really be believe. You really believe the Bengals <laughs> you, you are going are the to get there? It's a sale. I'm losing money by not going. <laughs> exactly. I'm actually oh. feeling like I'm burning money oh. on fire by not placing <laughs> this bet. When we get to December, and it's like plus 150 for the Jets to win the AFC East and the Bengals are suddenly the betting favorite to win their division and we didn't place this bet together as a group we're all going to be upset about it I'm not placing that bet with you like look I could totally understand you going 80 to 1 odds man I, I like Cincinnati to win their division still place 50 bucks on it and win 4 grand yeah no you're burning fifty dollars, and I don't have that to lose right now. Alex, try and convince you have two me that the kids Jets. At home. No, I've got one. We got to pay for daycare. It's expensive. Daycare, dude. diapers. Yeah, it's all expensive. <laughs> got to pay for electricity in I my house. The, I think this is the way. This is the way that we win. You absolutely have your friends go broke, don't you? Because you convince them like this. Don't worry about paying the mortgage this month, man. This is a absolute win. Lock it in. I'm going to win us $8,000. You don't need to pay your mortgage because I'm about to have you pay your next seven mortgage payments with this bet. You're taking the Jets and the Bengals, two mediocre teams, to win their division. Yep. Yeah. You uh, you make that bet over there. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 3-9-9-9-6-4-6 is the air comfort service tax line. Alex, I want to bring the conversation that we just had off air onto the air. Don't because I might say foul words that get me in trouble. <laughs> so Alex has been really excited all week about some of his situations that are taking place on his fantasy team because of injuries. He is rooting for injuries right now. Yes, Amen. that is exactly what's happening. Amen. So you see a tweet that says, hey, Jerome Ford's not practicing today because of a high ankle sprain. He's in a boot. He's going to be out for the next couple of weeks. Your response was. Kareem Hunt, let's go! And then there was a cuss word in there. And then I said, Kareem Hunt's not practicing today. 
Do some damn research. Kareem Hunt, according to Fred Greetham. Hunt says he's ready to carry the load with Jerome Ford injured. Then why isn't he practicing? Maintenance day. Resting his body for the upcoming dominance that's going to take place on the field. Yeah. Yeah. You keep Pierre Strong on your damn bench. Frankly, this is the problem with your... I've got Pierre Strong in our league. This is the problem with our stupid league. Who did you just pick up today? I pulled up... I picked up freaking Will Levis. <laughs> I told myself that, hey, Justin Fields is out. I've got Russell Wilson as one starting quarterback. I need another. Maybe Will Levis can throw bombs to um, DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks, and I don't even know sure. who else they freaking have Nobody. on there. I have come to the point where I have convinced Burks myself. Burks playing right now? No, I'm probably yeah. not. No, Traylon Burks hurt yeah. too? I've come to the point where I'm convincing myself that backup quarterbacks are the smart, <laughs> smart way to go with oh. this. I'm done with this stupid league. I'm as I done said, with it. As I said during the commercial break, only in our fantasy league of a super flex league with 14 freaking teams. <laughs> I'm done with would it. Would anybody ever be excited about a fourth string running back? You are the worst commissioner of fantasy we football all, in the history of this. Our whole league went racing for Daryl Henderson this weekend. <laughs> waivers. I'm done it's with this. It's just sad. I'm done with this stupid league. By the way, I guess you got him. Was it you? This guy, I got uh, Daryl Henderson and Pierre Strong. How's that possible? I'm putting a claim for Henderson. Hey, man, I probably cheated probably again. Cheated. Yeah. Yeah. I Come hate on. this Randy was right. League. You do cheat the waiver I'm liar. never playing in this league again. I've got Royce Freeman. I've got Daryl Henderson. I've got all the terrible running backs you could ask for. You guys want them? Send me a trade offer. I'm available. All right. 314-399-9646. Does anybody got Tyson Badgett that want to hand him over I've to got me? Gardner Minshew. Uh, I'll take him, yeah. actually. Suddenly, he's like a hot commodity. Well, yeah, league. considering I just picked up freaking Will Levis and said, maybe I should get Malik, uh, whatchamacallit, too. And yeah, I'll have both of them on my team. If you got two quarterbacks, maybe you got one. I'm going to change my team name to Willis and Levis uh, Law Firm, LLC. We'll both be the quarterbacks. And then why I got Wilson why, as well. Why are you stealing from... Uh... Marshy's team Because it's a stupid name, Marshy. Pick a better one. Well, you just used it. Never yeah. mind. All right, 314 I hate this league. I hate you. Slide. I'm never coming home again, ever. From the 314. BK, any thoughts on the smoke coming out that uh, Ryan Wingo might end up choosing Texas over Mizzou today? BK, any coincidence with the smoke coming out? I'm like, where are we going with this? <laughs> Makes sense. Take it away, my friend. First of all, don't appreciate that. <laughs> Second of all, I've got a uh, reputation to keep up. Straight yeah, laced. Yeah, we know. Uh, third of all, I don't think Ryan Wingo's going to Texas. I think what's happening, this is a guess, speculation, horns down. I think that what's taking place is that it got out publicly that Ryan Wingo's almost certainly going to be picking Mizzou later on today. Well, who did that? People around Ryan Wingo. BK up on his blog. And <laughs> I think he wants there to be some entry today. Because this is his moment, man. If you're a high school recruit, especially a nationally prominent recruit, this is this might be the only moment that you get that's like this, where everybody in the country is watching your commitment. And if there's no intrigue surrounding it, well, then why are people watching, right? So give the kid his day. He's going to be able to choose his next school at, I think it's 4, 4.30, something like that, later on this afternoon at SLU. I think it's going to be Mizzou. But... The only way for there to be intrigue is if there's a little bit of doubt on that. And the doubt now that is creeping in is that at the last minute, Texas is coming in to give a massive offer to Ryan Wingo to come down and play in Austin. I think he's still going to choose Mizzou, but that's kind of the latest on where things stand with that. Ryan, I mean, I know you're listening to the show right now with your AirPods in in class. Um, I, If you really want to change things up for this whole committing thing, I would totally flip. 
Go I wouldn't go to Mizzou. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. From the 314. This is amazing. I can't believe we're already getting this question. (laughs) Should the Cardinals not take the risk of losing Yachty to a different organization and just make him the manager now for 2024? (laughs) Fire Ollie. Hire Yadier Molina because in 2025, they might end up losing him. How would you lose Yadier Molina in 2025? He would end up going and getting a job elsewhere as a manager. But that would mean the Cardinals tell him, no, we're not hiring you. Well, it would mean that Ollie kept his job. I don't think that's going to (laughs) happen. Oh, this your text? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. I probably should have hid that a little bit better. No, I don't think they should do this. I think that... Let the season play itself out, guys. I know I'm on an island of thinking that Ollie is, like, at minimum, a reasonable manager. At best, a a pretty good one. But I I would just keep Ollie Marmol in his situation and see what the season goes. I would not change this. Agreed. I, That's a hot take. <laughs> I play out the air, see where it goes. Yeah. If if it becomes clear that Oliver Marmol is hurting the team rather than helping them, or at best just being net net, sure, then we can have a conversation. Like, like how are we acting as if Yadier Molina is already a perennial manager Hall of Famer? Like he managed well with Puerto Rico in the WBC. Like I I understand the fascination with them, but guys, there's a lot more to managing than just being a a hall of fame caliber player like there's a lot more that goes into it and i think we should probably pump the brakes on yadier molina needs to be the manager like let's see what this looks like as a bench coach before we start handing them the keys to the team i remember when the royals hired um george brett as their hitting coach in 2013 i want to say it was he lasted two weeks because he said he hated it hated everything about it said as a player he was a great hitter, obviously. One of the best in the history of the sport. The players now look at different things than he did, first of all. And second of all, they don't really listen to him because they want to do their own thing. And then they're waiting for something to go horribly awry before they really go to him. He said, there's too much travel. There's too much time commitment. I just want to go play golf. I don't fear necessarily that that's going to be the case with Yadi or Molina. But I think we need to see it before we are certain that that's not going to be the case with Yadi. Because in his final season here, he did want to go back to Puerto Rico for a few different things. He has stuff going on back home that is going to take some of its, his attention to it away. That doesn't mean he's going to be a bad bench coach. He might be the best bench coach in Major League Baseball next season. But let's see it first before we decide exactly how this is going to end up going. All right, for Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up next, do the Blues have enough game breakers? Because as I'm watching the games right now, it kind of feels like they've got two or three dudes that could really create offense. And then a bunch of other guys that are just interchangeable parts. What does that mean for them both in the short and the long term? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right 
back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think defense wins you games. Overall, if you look at our start this year, I think we've done a pretty good job. I think there's been little lulls. Um, you know, that happens, but we need to continue working to, to, to get rid of those. And we're going we're gonna to find our offense. We're not worried about that. Um, you know, we just need to possess the puck more. I think that's what it comes down to. Not worried about the offense. They're going to get that figured out. That is according to Blues center Robert Thomas. That was him after the game last night alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. Alex, I disagree with him. I am legitimately oh, of course. concerned about the Blues offense right now. And it comes because I, I just don't know if this team has enough game breakers. And what I mean by that is, as you're watching some of these teams around the league, and there was a good piece earlier today over on The Athletic about how teams, this is a copycat league, and a lot of teams have stolen the same system that the Blues are using right now, which is that zone defense that packs the house in front of the net. They're trying to take away those high danger chances because there's so much speed, there's so much skill in the league. All right, we got to push these guys away because if they're close, they're going to hit it like 60% of the time, right? It's just too high quality of chances. So teams have gone in this direction, and the shot attempts are way down because of it. The The offensive numbers are way down because of it, and that is reversing a trend previously in the NHL where offense is actually typically better than the defense slash goaltending early in the season. So for the Blues, the problem is these other teams have the game breakers that can, whether it's winning in transition or um, winning with shots from the outside, they can win that way still. I, I don't know that the Blues can, Alex. As you look around this roster right now are the blues missing game breakers is that what we're witnessing i i think they are like they have guys who can break open a game with their skill i think of jordan Cairo. i think of robert thomas pavel buchnevich i would throw yakub verana into this one but the problem with this is when they're getting those opportunities they're opting to pass it rather than take it it, it feels like you're getting into situations where you've got a lot of guys that are like, no, you take this opportunity. No, you take this opportunity. Like you're being as unselfish as possible. Or frank, frankly, right now, you need some guys that can be selfish on this. Like I'm looking at individual shots. Jordan Cairo is probably the most, and I'm saying this in a positive manner, selfish player on the team, meaning this dude shoots the puck every chance he's got. 17 shots on goal so far this season through five games. But beyond that, like we're talking eight shots on goal by Robert Thomas, seven shots on goal by Yakub Verana, uh, six shots on goal by Braden Shen, five by Kapanen. And like I can continue to go down this length. Whereas if I look at other teams like the middle tier that we've talked about, you go over to the Nashville Predators, they've got a total of nine dudes that are in double digit shots on goal that have played one more game than the Blues have. So they've. Like last night, we saw the moment where Jordan Cairo had two breakaways. First one that he didn't get the goal on, understandable. It was a long shift. But that second one, that second one you look at and say, that's the moment that you have to break this game wide open. Man, I think people are being way too critical of that. I'm not being critical of that. And I'm not, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm not blaming you on this. I've seen a lot of that on the text line yeah. today as well. Dude, it's like hitting a ball really hard in baseball and it going straight at a defender. It, you, you can't control that. You, you make the best shot you can. And the best shooters in the league in the NHL have like a 20% shooting percentage. That means one out of every five chances is going in the back of the net. It didn't go in, and that sucks, and you wish that it would have for Jordan Cairo, but like, 
just because he had two breakaways and neither of them went in net doesn't mean he played poorly last night. No, that has nothing to do with his play being poorly. I thought he was one of the best players on the ice last night. But what I'm saying is when you ask me if they have game breakers, there are guys around the league that when the puck is on their stick, you look at it and you say, man, they're going to score here. They're I going, feel that way about Cairo, honestly. I feel that way about Cairo, but I haven't felt that way about Cairo so far this season. I guess. Last year, two years ago, two years ago, the year that he really broke out, I felt, I mean, we've talked about it, that it was like, it was like watching Brett Hall in his prime where it's like every time the puck was on a stick, you stopped because you were wondering what he was going to do. I haven't gotten that. Some of that's probably the scheme that they're focusing more on the other side of the ice, which again, I've seen so many people that have said it's the same problem from last season. It is the exact opposite <laughs> problem from last season. Last season, we were complaining about this defense being so bad. And now we're upset that these guys are focusing on the defensive zone. So, the game breaker problem, yeah, you need some guys that when they get the puck on their stick, they just say, screw it, I'm shooting the puck and I'm going to make a difference in this game, rather than this, let's make the perfect pass to get the perfect play, as Berube labels it, too cute. Yeah, so I, as I continue real quick, T-Bone, on that la- that line of thinking, Alex, yeah. from the 6-1-A, the Air Comfort Service X line is 314-399-9646. Oh, I'm going to love this one, I bet. Alex, the team hasn't changed. It's the same team as last year. How do you feel about that? Do you agree? How is it the same team as last year? Because they're bad. No. (laughs) Touche. Touche. But it's not the same team as last year. Last night was the first game that I saw from this team that they were making similar mistakes to last year in terms of defensive zone lapses. But I can go through the amount of games this season that they were as locked in defensively as you can ask for. You know what last year was against the Dallas Stars when they played against them? 6-5 final scores, 5-4 final scores. You know what the game outcome was in that first game, T-Bone? I know you got a memory like an elephant. Think about it. Wait, which game were we playing? Oh, jeez. 2-1 shootout. Sorry, I was dangerous at the time when we could score five goals. 2-1 wow, shootout loss. Great. So it's not the same team. Right now, they're having offensive issues. I think they're probably talking about the personnel is the same. And I yeah. I also disagree with that. <laughs> it's not. I, I think a lot of people, are, honestly, myself, I can only speak for me. I fell victim to what they did in the final month of the year. Mm-hmm. I watched what they were doing, and I was like, oh, okay, the, the offense looks pretty good. Kapanen, good goal scorer. Verona, wow, look at this. They, they've got a potential 25-plus goal scorer that they just got for basically nothing. Um, I, I like what Sammy Blay did at the end of last season. I might be down a little too far on what the Blues can be offensively. And I think what we've learned is it's kind of like spring training at the end of the year. The NBA has the same issue, where the final month of the season, some of the really young teams around the league, they just start getting shots up. And you're like, oh, man, that guy's going to be a 20-point-per-game player next year. Look at what he did in the final month of the season. And then he gets into the first portion of the season – the big time teams are playing more seriously. They're not looking for seeding, basically. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's he's a ten point per game player. It's gonna play like twenty minutes a night. And for the NHL, I think it's the same thing, where at the end of the season you can get thrown off a bit on what your team is going to be the following year when you're not a contender. Your team's out of it, they're playing for nothing, there's really no stakes in any of the games. And I think that is what I personally fell victim to. I don't think this team has a lot of offensive players, a lot of offensive firepower. I think they've got the right guys who have offensive firepower. The problem is you've got too many guys that aren't willing to say, I'm going to be the goal scorer right that, now. That's exactly what I was going to say. When I think game breaker, I think, okay, if I get the puck, on, and I'm going probably extreme here, but if I say I'm going to, we need a goal, 
I need to get the puck to McDavid's stick, and he's going to make it happen. Or he's going to will. They're going to make it happen. And right now, I don't feel like you have that guy. Like you're down by one last night, two last night. I don't know if there's a guy I circle and I say. I'm going to get the puck to that guy, and he's going to make this game a one-goal game, or he's going to tie it. I think Kyrie's got some of that to him, but he's not at the level that it's consistent enough. And the other thing for me, too, is like I, I don't think they have a guy that a team circles and says, the best outcome is we leave tonight, and that guy got a point. I think they can. I think the guys they circle are like Thomas Kyrie, and they go, we can shut them down and put them with yeah. a zero. I mean, you've seen they, it. They, they, there's not a, like You go into a game against the Oilers, and you look at a McDavid, and I know they don't have a McDavid, but I'm using him as the example. You go, all right, the best-case scenario is we hold McDavid to, like, two points tonight. They don't have any of those guys. Like, I think everybody on this team, I don't but think there's, there's like a guy. five of those guys that you're discussing in the NHL. I know, but I don't think the Blues have a guy that I think a team fears. Like, who's a guy they fear right now? I mean, it's, it's Jordan Kyrou. This is really? the thing. I don't think, I don't I, think I, teams fear I don't think that line fear right now. I, maybe not. I, I think a lot of this goes down to, like, they, they've had a really – I think Jordan Kyrou's played really well. I think the goals aren't there for him yet. I I think that that's going to come. He's at a 6% shooting percentage right now. I know nobody wants to hear about the stupid, fancy, nerdy numbers. His career norm is at 13%. It, it, the regression is coming in a good way for Jordan Kyrou. It is. It's right around the corner. Brandon Saad, I think, has been really good on that line as well. I don't think Brandon Saad's a game breaker, but I think he's been pretty good so far this year. I think your problem on that top line right now is Robert Thomas. I don't think he's played particularly well. I think in the first period, he saw moments where it started to click for him with Jordan Kyrou. I think right now he's playing like a second or third line center. And I think you paid him like he's a top-line center. Last year, we talked about this a lot of, okay, if he's not going to be a top-line center, what do you do as an organization? We talked about this coming into the season as well, Alex. If he's not a top-line center, what do you do? And I think that is one of the fears that we're five games in. There's a lot of time. This could change. I think Robert Thomas is a notoriously slow starter. It could get turned around. But if this is the player that he's going to be, I I don't know, man. I I think you need more out of him. I, I when I think of past teams, I think of Vladimir Tarasenko. I think of David Perron. Those were guys that were game breakers for the Blues. And we did this with Vladdy too, though. Uh, but I, we absolutely did. And we did it with Perron earlier in his career as well. We absolutely did. But the when they got to their best and when they were at their best, they were puck hogs. When they would always demand the puck. And I'm not sure you have a lot of those guys on this team. It seems to be... And Barubi has labeled it as the team's trying to get too cute out there. Braden Shen has said it on the power play. We're trying to get too cute with some of these plays. It seems that you've got a lot of guys who, when they get into the offensive zone, it's not so much of dump in, go work for the puck and get it back and set something up. It's somebody take a shot so that I could go to the front of the net and try and get a lucky bounce. And to get those shots, you have to shoot the puck. But the problem is you get three forwards in there that are passing and passing and passing and passing, thinking I got to get the wide open shot because if I shoot somebody's leg, it's going to bounce back out the other way. Or if I miss the net, it's going to go rim around the board. I I do think that this team is so focused on making sure they don't make mistakes in terms of odd man rushes that they're worried of missing the net. That's going to result in odd man rushes. So what do we, what do we attribute that to? Like if it, obviously all of this is armchair quarterbacking, it's impossible. Honestly, to know. I feel it's like probably a combination of a million different things. But I, what do we attribute that that fear, that lack of confidence? Last season, I think last season is the fear of you. You witnessed how bad last year was for this Blues team, and as a player, you're thinking, I don't want to go through that again. And to avoid going through that again, you've brought in a new coach that is on the defensive side of the game that has brought in a new scheme that focuses more on limiting the amount of quality scoring chances from the other team, which 
and result is going to impact your ability to rush the other way. Sure. And Thomas even said this morning on opening drive, like we've got to get more. We've got to open the ice more rather than just this closed in area that we're trying to play in. You've got to open the ice. And right now you're not doing that because last season was so much of if you don't get the right play, it's going to go the other way. And now we're chasing the game. See, My I, fear is they're caught in between. My it, it fear feels is that way right now is that. And I don't know if this is a coaching situation, if it's a player situation, if it's all of the above. It probably is a little bit of all the I think above. You're trying to coach the roster you have. I think they're domed up, man. I think they are in their own heads about, hey, last year we were this, and so we're trying to get better defensively, and they are better defensively. They've kept the shots down, relatively speaking, compared to what they were last year. They're still, I mean, giving up a ton of shots. There's not as good of shots, and that's fine. Um, they're trying to get the odd man rushes going the other direction. I thought last night you saw more of that from the top line, specifically Kairou didn't convert on his chances, but at least there were chances Absolutely. for him. I think you have seen sometimes they're, they're like almost afraid to make the wrong play. I think you're seeing this on the power play sometimes too, where they're afraid that it's going to go the other direction. And I, I don't really know how that gets fixed unless they start having consistent opportunities offensively, where you like, you almost need a slump buster where for like a three game stretch, you just score four or five goals in every game. And I don't know that they have the personnel or the talents to do that. And that's my concern is like, if you don't have the personnel or the talents to be able to get through that slump buster for three or four games, are you just going to stay kind of inside of your own head where you're stuck in between? And now you've just got a roster and a person and a personality that is just kind of a, eh, and see, I we'll think figure it out, I, maybe. I, I think they've got guys that can do that. The problem is their schedule doesn't allow that anytime soon. Like we're and the talking schedule is allowed it against Winnipeg and Arizona. We've been talking about it. I, they should have been there. They should have been, but they weren't the slump. Like if I look, let me pull up what their schedule. I don't is. think it matters who they play. It doesn't. But like you're playing the best of the best early on, like not yeah, Calgary, Vancouver. Like, come on, man. You're yeah, playing the th- middle ground. This is the game you should be doing it in. But it's not so much the slump busters of taking on like the bottom dwellers. That is the San Jose Sharks or teams like that these are teams that are very similar to you but beyond these teams we're talking colorado new jersey montreal might be one of those teams and then you're right back in it with divisional play like you don't play some of these bottom dweller teams until the middle of november which you got to hope you don't go into that snowball effect well, again if we thought this team was going to be at the top of the middle or hopes that they were going to be top of the middle then this is the teams that you should be able to do it against yeah. at some point you got to be able to prove it against your peer yeah. opponents we said by the end of the month we'd have a pretty good idea of who they are I think we're getting closer to having a good idea of who they this, are. This was the team that I wanted to bring up. This was the slump busters that I would love. Like Boston. This is what Boston's schedule was. Chicago, Nashville, San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, Chicago. Or 6-0 and to start the season. Yeah, I think some of those teams are every, like very think, similar to what you faced I so think far one this of those year. Teams, Chicago's as good as most of the teams that you faced so should, far this year. Uh, oh, no. I, I would say Chicago's worse than those teams that you faced so far this year. I don't think With the exception of Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're not all that dissimilar from like an Arizona or Winnipeg. I think the toughest team that Boston went up against to the caliber that you have played is Nashville. Yeah, Other well, than that, sure. you're taking on teams that are projected LA? to be top five. Well, LA's, LA's like Dallas-esque. I'm talking the Seattles, the Arizonas, the Winnipegs, those teams. That's the, the equivalent of what Boston just did against Nashville. You haven't played the equivalent of San Jose, Anaheim, or, or Chicago. And to be fair, Seattle's also been really bad this year, too. And they've been allowing a ton of opportunities going in the other direction. They're mm-hmm. they're two four and one on the season. Um, one of those wins came as a five to four overtime winner last night against Detroit. So I don't know, man. It, it's a weird start to the season in every possible way. I, I hope I 
look back on this conversation six months from now and we're like, oh, remember when that team was off to that weird start where they couldn't get anything going offensively? I hope Robert Thomas is right, that they're not worried about the offense and it's going to come for them. I, I hope that is 100% correct. Because if it does, man, this team could be pretty good. Because the defense is much better than expected, and the goaltending is outstanding. It is world-class goaltending that you're getting right now he's from got Jordan Binnington. He's got the fifth-best goal saved above expected in the NHL. It's been great. Mm-hmm. Genuinely great. And last night, I thought there was one goal that he would like to have back. It was the first time I've said that all year. Mm-hmm. For him to be able to say that four games into a season, that's that's amazing. But... They've just got so many other issues right now. All right, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. T-Bone said he's got a good one, so we'll start with him. T-Bone, what do you got for us? All right, guys. We've been sounding the red alarm bells so far today. We haven't. Right. Me and BK have. Thank you. Alex still thinks a cup's coming here. Nope, never said the that. The cup is coming. The I, cup is coming. No, yeah. it's not. No, that's five years Might from now. Might fly overhead when they go out west somewhere. That's five uh, years from now. More likely to happen. Blues are sellers at the deadline, or they are buying at the deadline? Sellers. Sellers. All right, next question. I mean, that's an easy one. Like, I, if you're pushing for a playoff spot, that's not going to make Doug Armstrong keep your players. Now, I think there's certain guys that you can keep. Like, I think in a situation where they're out of the playoffs or they're in, like, a bottom 10 spot, I could see them also just approaching Casper Kapanen and saying, hey, we like the way you play. We wanted you around. Sure. But they'll still move on from a Yakub Verana. They'll move on from a Marco Scandella. And then they got to really decide certain guys that they have in place. Um, in terms of these contracts that people are talking about, you get to the point where if you have another bad year, certain guys on no trade clauses might look at this and say, man, I want an opportunity to win a cup somewhere else. I don't Could know. happen if you have a bad year. Those guys are probably part of why it was a bad year. And well, you have to have that teams have... that are interested. But what I'm saying is, a guy might be more willing to move are on we from this about team. Tory Krug? Can we say the name? I mean, we're talking about Tory Krug, Nick Letty. We're talking about we're guys with no trade clause. No, you're not moving that man. That Franco, man has been incredible. Franco's been great. Yeah. yeah, but that the name I thought of, like if we're being, no, you're not trading him. But if you're saying like move a guy with a no trade clause that says I want out, it's not Krug. Pareko, like, Krug's, Krug's not playing well but enough. But they have approached Pareko, and he said he doesn't want to go anywhere. I mean, this is the guy we're talking about, though. If it's not looking good, and Pareko why says I want to go win a cup, but why would you move on from a guy that is only going to help your team moving forward? Because you're stuck for four years, three years. Well, this makes it a longer time frame because now you're searching for another Colton Pareko. Pareko's not going anywhere. I, we, I don't. We don't I agree. But what I'm saying is, I don't think the name is Krug that we're talking about here. I don't think the name is Letty. Why? Because they're not playing well enough. To another team would say, "Yeah, I want them," and he says, "Yeah, I want out because I want to go win a cup." I think Letty's possible. Letty's after the season, shorter years, term deal, four million dollars. Yeah. I, I could see the Blues retaining some of that salary. They don't do that very often. And look, if, if maybe you retain some salary, and then he ends up going elsewhere because he's got a modified no trade, right? After this year, no, it's the start of the 25-26 season, oh, so it's his final year of the deal. Yeah, I know those no trade clauses. Good thing you what don't give out no movement he, clauses. He could be a solid third pairing defense, but it's not even defense. I mean, you could look at your forward group and say, you know what, we might need to move on from some of these guys if they're not in the plans of what we're looking at. I'm thinking Brandon Saad. I'm thinking a Pavel Buchnevich. Like you could move on from these guys. 
Vucinevich is one that immediately comes to mind because yeah. he's got one year left on his deal after this year. And God, you guys know how much I love Vooch. I, I would resign yeah. him. I would try to figure things out around him. But if things go really poorly, poorly this year and he's a 29-year-old player making $5.8 million going into next season and you can get a massive haul in return and you should be able to, mm-hmm. And you're not going to resign him long term. The next offseason would be when you decide to trade him. It is the typical thing that teams are doing around the NHL right now, which is trading off your future free agents. It's been an NBA thing for years. All yeah. right. 314-399-9646 is the year comfort service text line. Alex, what do you have for, uh, more likely uh, to happen? More likely to happen. If this offense continues to struggle, the Blues try and make a trade or the Blues go to the free agent market? Neither. I, I think if it... Well, I'll that's say, not the answer. Let, let me let me say this. more likely to happen. Not neither can happen. It's more likely that they make a trade. And I think that the trade that they would make would actually be pulling from within to send somebody elsewhere. And then you pull up Jake Neighbors higher up into the lineup. I, I'm watching Yakub Verona closely. I'm a little worried about this, guys. Yeah, I, it's I a don't... little concerning. But the hard part is, man, the first three games, it felt like he was your best player. That was the best line on the ice. But even then... Here's his time on ice by game so far this year. 11, 14, 13, 13, 9. Yeah, he's a third line. He's a third line player. And I mean, if I was going to go through and do the same thing for like a Sonny or Torpchenko, I know some of this is the penalty kill versus Verona, who's not on that unit. I, I get it. But those guys are playing pretty similar minutes. And if I'm going to have Yaku Verona as a goal scorer, I, I need him on the ice more. I know he's a defensive liability, but... Where are you going to move him, though, to get more ice time? That's my question. Like, who who moves out of the top six so that he gets more ice time? Oh, I'm not saying that. I think you just get him out on the ice more. But the problem you is you got to get... But the problem is you got to get the two lines that have been the most consistent on the ice more. But Kevin Hayes has been really good. These last two games, they've been silent, and that's yeah. been the problem. Like, I'm, lo- I'm looking at it and thinking, how do I get... Yakub Verana into my top six. I would say you drop down Sammy Blay and you bring up Jake Neighbors and hopefully that line and gets get that a line better. going. Yeah, I don't but disagree with you. I, the reason why I bring him up as a potential guy that you would trade is you could trade him out or honestly put him on waivers, unfortunately. And it opens up a little bit of money. Pull yeah. up. Um, maybe then you end up bringing up a guy like Bolduc and you say, you know what, let's go with the young guy who maybe brings a little bit more offense. I, I don't know, man, but it's. It is something worth monitoring. The, the reason I bring this up, and, and T-Man, I want your answer too, but I look at both scenarios here. Free agency, like you're not getting Patrick Kane, so don't even talk about that. But like a Phil Kessel, how long does he sit out there? Does he help your offense at all? Or if you go the trade route, I'm keeping an eye on this Shane Pinto ordeal in Ottawa. He's a centerman. He's 22 years old. Last year, he had 23 goals for him. Um, and Where this is a into your lineup, though. Well, that's the thing. You're, you're making a trade of somebody off of your top six, top nine to bring in a player like this because they can't get him signed. They don't have the cap space. You move you move somebody from your NHL roster. Both are likely scenarios. I would lean more towards the free agency because to make that work, you're talking about sending somebody down to the minors. If they, if they clear waivers, it opens up space and you bring them in on a, a league minimum deal. I'm, I would think that the, the truth is it, we're playing a game more likely to happen, so we got to pick one or the other. I think the truth is they're, they're probably not going to do any of this, and they're just going to bet on this team. Agreed. they don't have any money. Yeah, I, that's why Like I would think more likely free agency just because you send somebody down and then you free up some some space, cap space. But, yeah, I, I can't see either scenario happening. And I, I don't think they go to free agency because I think they just want to find out what they have with some of these guys. And they don't want to bring in somebody that's only going to be basically a one-year rental type player. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. From the 314. 
You guys have no idea what is going on. BK was ready to give an extension to Verona in the preseason. How about just commenting on what has already actually happened, not what you think? You guys are too stupid to have thoughts. Mm-hmm. Wow. Touche. First of all, correct. Second of all, touche. I I thought that Verona was going to be better than this. I'm more than happy to admit when I end up being wrong, and so far this year I have been very wrong about Jakub Verona and what his role will be for the St. Louis Blues. No doubt about that. I also didn't foresee them going all in on this style of play. That is something that I didn't project and was wrong on that, and therefore that is a trickle-down effect of everything else that we're watching right now. The style of play that they had a year ago was very open, it was very flimsy defensively, and it allowed for a lot of opportunities offensively. That was what I was taking into account as I was thinking about what the goal production could be for guys like Vrana, Kapanen, Hayes, Thomas, Kairou, and now all of that has to be taken down like seven pegs because they're playing such a different style. So that is my reaction to what we've seen so far this year. If you think it's stupid, that's totally fair, but that is my personal opinion on the matter. All right, 9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. Guys, more likely to happen. The Blues get to 100 points this season or the Cardinals get to 100 wins next season. Neither. (laughs) Oh, wait, we're not playing that game. Uh, It's the Cardinals getting to 100 wins. I mean, you're not not hitting 100 points. Sorry, I get a little emotional here. You're not hitting 100 points. Because you're now realizing it can't happen. Within the... It's okay. You're not getting back to 100 points for at least three years. Like, this, this is... Hey man, it's gonna be all right. People are forgetting. People, you need a hug. I know, kind of. People are forgetting. Well, ask me that in January. <laughs> people are forgetting the timeline that Doug Armstrong presented last year, and he said if, if like the LA Kings retool, and that's a three-year process. So uh, the hundred wins, yeah, that was never in consideration. I even said ninety-two was it would a be sweet hard spot. To get hundred wins this year for yeah. the Blues. Ninety-two, be impressive. Ninety-two was kind of the the ideal landing spot. And I'm not sure you're going to get there. I I think they're not. I I thought they were, I said this going into the year and I still stick by this an 82 to 85 point team. And that's right around 500. And I thought that's where they would be. So I, I'm definitely saying more likely the Cardinals won hundred games because I, with their offense, you add just competent pitching. This team would be at least a 91 team. If you win, if you add competent pitching, I I would definitely say more likely they win a hundred. Talk to me when you actually do it. T-bone. Come on, let's sweep it. We all know that. All right. Coming up next. This postseason is yet another reminder of how the Cardinals have to get it right when it comes to their pitching. And I'm not just talking about the rotation. We'll get into that. And was this guy the one that got away? No, I'm not referencing Adolis Garcia. And no, I'm not referencing Zach Gallen either. We'll tell you who coming up next here on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Harper, a high fly ball to center field. Thomas settles under it. 
And Kevin Ginkle delivers two big outs for the Diamondbacks. The Phillies strand two. And he strikes out Bohm, who snaps his bat in frustration. And yes. did he go? He did. It is a strikeout. Ginkle strikes out the side in the eighth. Wow. Let it out, big fella. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like last night on Turner Sports as the Arizona Diamondbacks shut things down. That seventh inning changed the game. That is when they really won it. Now, it took another six outs, but realistically, that was the opportunity for the Phillies. The Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen shut them down. And Alex, that's been a theme for them so far this postseason. If you're looking at their big three, it's Ryan Thompson, Kevin Ginkle, who, God, he was awesome last night, and Paul Sewald, who they traded for, by the way, at the deadline. A big move by the Seattle Mariners that ended up paying off in a big way actually for the Arizona Diamondbacks those three guys have pitched a combined 27 and two-thirds inning this postseason they have given up a total of three earned runs all of them have been given up by Ryan Thompson Ginkle and Seawald have pitched 17 innings have allowed zero earned runs and just nine hits Alex, as we look to the offseason for the Cardinals, we've talked so much about their rotation, as we should. They need to add three new starters. They need to add two guys, at a minimum, that are slotting in in front of Miles Michaelis, in our opinion. Let's not forget about the bullpen, though, because you also need to improve that group. I don't know that going into next year, I trust Giovanni Gallegos to be an every-night option in the eighth inning. I would prefer to have that guy as somebody that is in the seventh inning. I think I view him as more of the Miguel Castro of the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen or the Craig Kimbrell of the Phillies bullpen. You hope that it works out, but you can't count on it. You need at least three other dudes that you can count on night to night. And that requires this team to go out there and sign, I think, two guys that factor into the seventh or eighth inning plans for this upcoming season. Yeah, you, to me, have too many squint guys in your bullpen. And what I mean by that is you have to squint to see them fit into that role. Helsley's that guy. Gallegos is that guy. Jojo Romero is that guy. All guys that I feel confident with in the regular season, but postseason, I'm not sure I feel comfortable in that spot. It, it, now, to the point of getting two of them, I think you're aggressive to get that one elite guy this offseason and then try and make the trade at the deadline because there's so many other areas that you've got to spend money on this offseason in terms of the one and two starting pitcher, probably some depth on the starting pitcher side. You can make it through a regular season where you sign or trade for that top guy in the bullpen and then back it up with Helsley and Gallegos and Jojo Romero and a couple of other depth pieces. And then once you get to the trade deadline, that's where you get to be ultra aggressive and bring in that second dude. So I should probably clarify this. I'm not talking about the top of the market. Like if you go out and get two, instead of getting somebody like Josh Hader or um, maybe even going out and having a reunion with somebody like what you already had in Jordan Hicks, I'm talking about like Phil Maiden or going out and talking to somebody like Emilio Pagan or um, maybe Adam Adovino if he wants to continue pitching. Joe oh, Jimenez. there's a reunion. The, these are guys that are like $5 million relievers, 5 to $6 million bucks. Yeah. Really effective players, and you can get multiple of them on a one- to two-year deal, $5 million bucks a piece. That's the kind of level that I'm talking about if you go this route. Like Phil Maton for the Houston Astros has been a huge part of that bullpen, and over the last two seasons as a 3.5 ERA, he's appeared in... 135 games that is somebody that I could take into next season he's got a really good strikeout rate more than a batter per inning in terms of the strikeouts 
that's a guy that I could really trust in this bullpen at the back end. And I, I think I would trust that as much, if not more, than Geo. And it allows me to play a little bit more with the matchup. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, less so than yeah. going out and spending, you know, 25, 30 million bucks on one of these relievers. That's where I am, too, is that you've got you've got to find a way to win on some of those smaller deals. Pierce Johnson, Emilio Pagan, as you mentioned, Phil Mayton, those are the kind of guys that need to be built into this bullpen because I do think they need to add two guys this year. And then if they need another one, go get them at the bullpen. Or, hell, if, if you go into the trade deadline next year and you go, what do we add? The answer should be a bullpen arm. It always should probably be a bullpen arm because you can never have too many of those. And I, I think this team, I, I think you're right, Alex, when you say you have to squint to see it. I, I don't trust Gio going into next year. I don't trust JoJo, not so much based performance-wise, just this was the first year we really saw him break out. I still trust Helsley because I think his struggles early on and at the in the playoffs last year were injury-related. So I trust Helsley still. But you got to find those two guys that are that are behind him in that 7th and 8th inning. Gio and JoJo, those are kind of that 6th inning, mix-and-match, bridge guy for you. You need to get two high-leverage arms this year that, that go into the circle of trust when we start the season next year. So the other thing that I was watching last night with the Diamondbacks, they might have the guy on their team that got away from the Cardinals. I'm not talking about Tommy Pham. I'm not talking about Zach Gallen. Jesus, there's a lot of them. <laughs> they're, they're never in. Keep going because there's not more. Not Garcia, not <laughs> Jordan Marte, Montgomery. Mike um, Maddox. Yeah, none of those guys. I'm not uh, mentioning any of those players. Marte. That's the one that I miss. Talk about their catcher. I've been really impressed by Gabriel Moreno so far in this postseason. This kid is 23 years old. He's batting 295 in the playoffs for the Arizona Diamondbacks in this NLCS. Overall in the postseason, he's batting 280. Now, he doesn't have a ton of pop. He's not a guy that's going to go out there and hit, you know, 25, 30 home runs for you. But he's got a little bit of it. And he just seems to make all the right plays at all the right times. Like when they needed to move a runner over, he's a guy that can do that. When they needed to just drive the ball to the gap, he's a guy that can do that as well. He just he made all the little plays and he's really good defensively and he seems to be a pretty good game caller as well. I really like Gabriel Moreno a lot. The reason why I I find him to be the one that got away, Alex, we talked a lot last offseason about the catching options for the Cardinals. We brought up, of course, the top catching option on the free agent market. That was Wilson Contreras. The top trade option on the market. That was Sean Murphy. We also brought up the Toronto Blue Jays catchers. And we focused specifically on the two veterans that they had. What we didn't talk enough about because we thought they wouldn't make him available is Gabriel Moreno. He was one of the top prospects in Major League Baseball, the top catching prospect in the sport. He's going to be 23 years old. He's got like six years of club control. No way they let that guy walk. They're going to get, you know, Alejandro Kirk. Or what's the other guy? The goggles. Danny Jansen. Danny Jansen. Blah. One of those guys are probably the ones that they're going to trade, right? And we heard, hey, the Cardinals might have even had talks about Danny Jansen, potentially, maybe even for Ryan Helsley. That, that was a rumor that floated around last offseason. Well, it ended up being the one that they traded was Gabriel Moreno. Alex, looking back on it, I don't know that this was ever an option for the Cardinals. But if they had waited and the Blue Jays called up because it ended up being that the Diamondbacks traded Dalton Varsho, a left-handed outfielder who's got a little bit of pop in him, but never really has lived up to some of the expectations that were placed upon him. And he was a really underwhelming player this year for the Toronto Blue Jays. If they had called you up and said, hey, we will trade you Gabriel Moreno. For And Lourdes Gurriel Jr., by the way, who was a expiring deal outfielder, pretty solid out there. We'll trade you them for Lars Nootbaar. If you revisit... Oh, here we go again. History. 
you go back and you're able to do that prior to making the deal with Wilson Contreras. Would you have done that? Hell yeah. If you're telling me I'm getting both, like if I'm getting Gurriel and Moreno, hell yeah, I'm pulling that deal off. Like if it was just Moreno for Nupar, I'd, I'd seriously consider it because I need that help. But your your outfield is in a really tough spot. And like retrospect, looking or hindsight, looking back on it, like you'd be even a worse spot if you traded him just for a catcher because O'Neal was never available, Carlson was never available. You'd be scrapping to find something there. But if you're going to give me an outfielder who's 29 years old, who has been good in his career, and both, it was only a one year deal, yeah. so you're going to be an expiring. But you figured that but out. But it bridged the gap. Yep. And I knew that I was getting good offense and defense from him. And I was getting the part for Moreno that when we talked about him in the offseason was it was just such a small sample size. Like you had 25 games. Yeah, he was good, but it's 25 games. Like, do we know that this guy can take over for a full time load? Well, now we've just figured it out. So, yeah, hindsight's 2020, but I would have pulled that deal off immediately. I think I would have done it, too, because when you look at what the future of the outfield looks like for the St. Louis Cardinals, Well, I get you would probably extend Gurriel. I would think you'd probably lock him up after this season. I think Arizona's going to have to explore that this year because he had a really good year. And you end up with the catcher of the future that you would probably trust defensively. His his uh, framing's not that great, but his blocking and his pop time are one of the best in Major League Baseball. So I think the Cardinals, in hindsight, would probably do this. I I know they'd be giving up a lot in Newpar, but you get the one-for-one replacement for Gariel, and you go, okay, can we get away with having one less on-base guy? And you have Donovan be that guy, forgetting that he had the injury. I think they probably would have done it. I I really do. I think they would have done it because we saw how much they missed a defensive-minded catcher, and Contreras just isn't that. And Moreno is more of that than Contreras for sure. I don't know that they would have done it because of how high they are on Lars Newtbar. I think looking back, if you could go back and know then what you know now, I think then they would have. Does that make sense? Like in the moment, if they were offered Gabriel Moreno for Lars Newtbar, I think they probably would have said, no, we're not doing that. Today, I think they would have done that. Because now you know, okay, we we probably would like a do-over with that contract. The other thing that it allows you is flexibility. So if you've got Gabriel Moreno at catcher and you're not paying $18 million this offseason to Wilson Contreras because he got a bump in his salary for the 2024 season compared to what he was signed for this year, now you've got even more money to spend. So now, like, I don't think they would have done it, but maybe going into this offseason, we could be talking about like Yamamoto and Blake Snell at the front end of your rotation. Something like that becomes more possible. Or maybe instead of going out and getting... Nola, Sonny Gray, and two of those lesser bullpen arms that we're talking about, maybe then you go Nola, Gray, and you end up adding Josh Hader to the back end of your bullpen. You know, it just allows for a lot more flexibility going into this upcoming year. So I I think now you'd probably make that deal. At the time, though, I do understand where they were coming from because of what Alex said. It is such an unknown with Gabriel Moreno. And they wanted a known commodity because they thought they were in their win-now mode. And so they went out and they got the guy that is the best hitting catcher in baseball over the last few years. And they were hoping that they could help him defensively. Well, now looking back, probably one of the other route. If there is something to learn from this, though, on the pitching side of things, I do think you can use this as a a lesson for that third pitcher that you're acquiring. Instead of going out and trading for or signing a known commodity as that third guy, maybe you go trade for the guy that you think is the next 
top three level starter in your rotation. This is where you get your Brian Wu, your Edward Cabrera. You're like, hey, we're betting on this guy. We haven't seen it a lot, but if it hits in the way that we think it can, he can be for our rotation what Gabriel Moreno was for the Diamondbacks in terms of what their lineup was able to do this year. Uh, A lot of people are bringing up Yvonne Herrera. It's another guy that kind of fits into this mix as a conversation point, but the problem is now that you have Wilson Contreras, I just don't know what the role is long-term for Yvonne Herrera here. You've got four more years of this with you, Wilson Contreras. You should use him like Toronto did, where they said, what do we need? We need a defensive outfielder. Yeah. And they said, how are we going to get it? We're going to trade away a guy, a, a catching prospect that's blocked, in our opinion. We, at the time, they thought Danny Jansen and Alvin, uh, Alvin uh, Alejandro Kirk were, were better options for them. And I think it's fair to say that the Cardinals, Contreras more so contract-related than anything, contract and then Kisner are two guys that are solidified. Contreras is a starter. Kisner can be a starting caliber catcher, but fits really well as a backup. Use Herrera and trade him. Don't let him just sit in the minor leagues and go, oh, we got catching depth. Well, See if you can use him and flip him and get something that you need, like a pitcher, like a Brian Wu or a Cabrera from Miami. That's the way to do it. It's going to require some gumption. All right, we fixed the team. And there's going to be some uh, difficult moments where you feel uncomfortable with the decisions that you have to make, but I'm much more likely to make that move than I am one that's going to take Nolan Gorman off of this team, for example. I'm willing to trade from the future. I just don't want to trade from the present. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. All right, let's dive into the junk drawer, Alex. I've got some questions for you. I need some parenting advice. Well, I'm the guy to come to. I'm here for you. Okay. How in God's name did you get through sleep regression? Because uh, boy, coffee. howdy, is it hitting us hard. A lot of coffee. My God. A lot of coffee. Luca has decided every two hours, every two hours, I'm ready to get up and we're going to eat again. Now, what you don't understand about this T-bone yet, one day, is that <laughs> maybe every yeah, two maybe. hours is one thing. That doesn't sound so bad. You're yeah. like, okay, yeah, you're getting up every two. Yeah, like you forget catnap. that when he gets up. You then have to do the feed, which, you know, takes 10 minutes probably. And then you have to wait for him to fall all the way back asleep to put him back in the bassinet. More than likely change the diaper, too, at some point. So at this point, we're 30 minutes in. So cool. Yeah, we've gone 30 minutes. And then we've got like an hour, hour and a half before we're starting the process back up again. It feels like it never ends. The dude used to drink like two ounces at a time, typically. He's at like four or five at times now. Oh, yeah. This is insanity. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, honestly, I slept, my, walked my way through a lot of that. Sure. Like you wake up and you do it. And like most of the time you're like I half asleep. I went to the asleep. bathroom last night. Don't remember doing it. Yeah, I'm I missed the, I ended up I missed the floor a lot. That's when I just really started to sit down when I went because of that problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you just, uh, it's weird because I don't remember the first like two to three months of both of my girls. Like, obviously I remember it, but like, I don't. Remember being exhausted just blurred together. Yeah, because you're so tired. It, it was to the point where like, because again, like Katie would breastfeed, but she would pump because I wanted to be a part of the feeding. Um, so she would wake up to pump and I would feed sure. and we both we would be other. awake. Yeah. She'll do one. I'll do the next. And, and honestly, that that was probably that what helped me is I just forced myself to get up every time, even when I wasn't doing it, because then I got to the point where it was just like, all right, yep. Every two to three hours. 
It's tough, man. You're just, you, you push through. Somebody said, BK, try triplets. That's what I'm going through right now. God bless you. Oh, my you. gosh. God bless you. <laughs> I, I don't know how anybody does it. Seriously, yep. it, it's amazing to me. I've gained so much respect. Not that I didn't have respect previously for parents, but holy bleep. It adds a completely yeah. different dimension dimension to your life. That's why we wanted the second one so close because, like, I, I I told her we wanted them close because we wanted them to be close in age. But I said, like, I'm not getting out of the baby stage. Like, I want to have the next one when I'm in this baby stage because the moment we get out of diapers, the moment I stop formula, I'm not gonna want to go back into it. So it's like let's d- let's do this all in the same time frame so I could get all the exhaustion out when I can handle it. And then move forward. Somebody on the text line said, BK, I'm dealing with a two-month-old right now. I feel your pain. Hey, man, at two months, we're good. <laughs> I'm not telling you this yeah. to scare you. BK was walking around the office like, he's <laughs> sleeping. I've got this made. This is great, guys. Alex, you told me this was bad. At two months, we were like, man, this is going really yeah, well. And we like, didn't want to say it out loud. We got to the like 13 and a half week period, and that's right around the sleep regression part. Started teething. We got that going a little bit right now. And now he's into the full-blown sleep regression slash um, growth spurt. Uh, not to be... He's still a great kid. Like, he's not typically very fussy. Like, we don't have to deal with any of that. It's just waking up. Yeah. Look, I, I hate the parents that do this. And we joked with Justin Falk about this. And he's like, don't take people's advice. I'll say this. that, that we, we had a book, Moms on Call, that we kind of, like, used yeah. as, like, religious... Um, and God bless that book because we got it just in a routine with these kids that was like, you put them to sleep, they take their bottle and then they, they're out. And like by, I think by the third or fourth month, man, we were, we were absolutely blessed because both of our girls kind of, when they got through that sleep regression, they slept through the night and we've had no issue since. Somebody next line said, BK, instead of alternating with your wife, why don't you guys take shifts? One of you does the first half of the night. The other takes a second half. Then both of you are guaranteed a few hours of sleep. That that's what we had been doing previously. Unfortunately, because these are so consistent, it's tough. Well, and here's the other thing too: like you and can we both say, are working. You can say you want to do that, but as soon as you hear that baby cry, you wake up too. It's not like you sleep through that. Like I'm a heavy sleeper. As soon as I heard one of our daughters cry, my wife get up. I'm like, all right, well, I got to get up. I can't make her do all of this herself. Somebody's saying use a sound machine. It's it yeah, white noise case. machine. Yeah, we've been using that. Do you don't. do the bath before bedtime? So we, we have the whole routine, right? Everybody's got a little different routine on terms sure. of what they do. We do baths on Sundays, and now we're going to implement them because he's getting a little bit older on, like, Thursdays as well. Yeah. So we're doing it a couple of days a week. Um, we do – he's got his medicine that he takes before bed as well. So we've got that. We do a bottle before – like, we've got the whole routine, the routine ready routine to down. go. And he goes down pretty well. It's not an issue of it's him just more getting food. to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's an issue of – waking up yep. because it's sleep regression like there's nothing you can do he's about growing it and he needs more food if you're if you guys have kids you've been through it as well i know it's gonna end but how long <laughs> you get there, how long you get there man about? you get there here's the thing the best part about it is in about a month you'll be laughing about remember yeah. when that was bad and then in about like six months you get towards the age where they're walking and you're like son of a nutcracker i wish he was just still crawling is that you right now? Yeah. Well, no. Now both of mine are walking. It is just absolute terror. The other day, my daughter picked up the dog food bowl and dumped it all out on the floor and watched me. Good. She's like, yeah, watch this, daddy. Do you remember how old yours were when they started crawling? Um, Yeah. Adelaide was probably about six months and Emma was a lot faster. Emma was like at four months. I think we're getting there. You'll start to know because they sit up on all fours and they do like the little backup. Yep. And they're like, they're like thrusting their body backwards and then they start like moving one foot at a time. So he's getting the like the leg, almost like the rollover kind Mm -hmm. of thing going, like the hip movements. 
And I was like, oh, okay. So we've got the full flip back and forth ready to go now. And now we're working on the, oh, I think to get that toy, I'm going to go like this. And then we're going to. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Uh, you're like in purgatory right now. Hell will be when he starts moving. <laughs> Coming up next. I think Mizzou is experiencing something that we're going to call the Luther burden effect, Alex. And we're not just talking about on the field, off the field as well. What's it mean? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK, I call this BK Reads the Internet. This comes from Rivals.com. A gentleman by the name of Clint Cosgrove works for Rivals. He's covered the area. His dad was a coach in the area. He now covers recruiting for Rivals.com. He writes, Missouri and St. Louis have always been up for grabs on the recruiting trail. Gary Pinkle had some success in the area with keeping a handful of the elite talent at home, but no coaches really come close to building a border around the state. I live in Illinois. The top talent is always going to leave that state. That's just a given. But Missouri and St. Louis specifically, (laughs) it's a tight-knit community. There are too many future stars staying home was not the answer. They felt that success elsewhere was the best way to attain a career in football. Luther Burden has changed that. The Luther Burden effect is very real. He then continues, Ryan Wingle, a five-star wide receiver in the area, has a decision to make on Wednesday. It could impact Mizzou football for years to come. Missouri landed a commitment already from in-state five-star Williams Winery. The Tigers have Burden pushing for a Heisman campaign this year. Should they land Wingo, the Luther Burden effect will officially come to fruition. In fact, a commitment from Wingo could cause a tsunami that changes college rosters across the country. End quote. Can we spend more time on the fact that Illinois can't keep their own talent? <laughs> Illinois, where I live, the top talent is always going to leave well, the state. We had to reread the line. <laughs> yeah, we did. One more time for those in the back. Illinois, where I live, has top uh. talent, and it's always going to leave the state. That is a given. I love that. That is a given part of it. Coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I bring this up, Alex, is because I totally agree with his assessment of the situation. Yeah. I said this, I think it was last week. Brad Smith was the reason that Mizzou football was relevant in the 2000s. Without his success early on in the Gary Pinkle era, nothing that followed would be possible. Brad Smith saved Gary Pinkle's job. Brad Smith made it cool to go to Missouri again. Brad Smith made Missouri relevant enough for Chase Daniel to want to come home. Or for Chase Daniel to want to come here from Texas, frankly. He made it cool enough for Jeremy Macklin to decide, you know what, I want to go there. All of that happened because of Brad Smith. None of the rest was possible. I think Luther Burden is this era's version of doing that. Mizzou had no longer become cool. Mizzou had lost the luster of the 2013-2014 success. They had a brief one-off in 2018 where they had a really good start to the season. There was some success on the recruiting trail that followed, but it, it really never sustained. A lot of stuff from 2015 to 2018 went south we don't have to rehash everything but uh, missouri was no longer cool for kids in the state of missouri luther burden going there changed that the success that he's having there now the team's on-field products that's taking place right now now you're getting the attention of the top players in the state again it's nil it's the success on the field it's the new law for nil that has made it even 
more likely that kids are staying home, all of this combined is allowing for Missouri to compete on a national stage in a way that, frankly, it never has before. Alex, I don't know how long this is going to last. Recruiting and specifically the rules are changing, it seems like, every year. So it's possible the recruiting advantages that Missouri has now in state will no longer exist as soon as two or three years from now. But while they do, take advantage, man. And you're doing it with Williams Winery. You did it with Luther Burden. It sounds like you're likely to do it with Ryan Wingo. This could change what the next three to five years looks like for Mizzou football. Yeah, you have to capitalize on this because, like you mentioned, as much as this is the Luther Burden effect, because, look, Luther Burden, yes, the NIL is tied into it, but if you don't get Luther Burden and you don't win, that's the other thing. You could get Luther Burden and have a season like last year, and players are like, do I really want to go here? But you tie into the NIL money. That's where things really significantly change, and you're adding the success onto the roster right now. But like you just mentioned, you've got like, I don't know, what what would you say, a three- to five-year window to capitalize on this before the NIL changes, and this is where you bring in as many of these commits as possible and recruits as possible so that you load up so that for a three- to five-year span before this changes and you kind of dip back down, capitalize on being one of the top teams in the SEC East because then when the NIL thing shifts, you still have that Luther Burden effect of the offense and the success that these teams are having where players look at Mizzou and say, yeah, but they, they win. And that's going to be my best path to get to the NFL. From the 314 BK, you do realize that these commitments mean nothing until National Signing Day, right? They mean something. If you commit to Missouri, that's better than them not committing to Missouri right now. The other thing is they're getting paid, man. <laughs> like yeah. if the moment money, that money, they money. sign some kind of a financial aid agreement, it's nothing that's binding because they can't sign the uh, in in L.I. just yet. The National Letter of Intent yet in L.I., N.I.L., very different things. They end up mattering a lot together. But once he signs something that says I'm going to co- commit to the University of Missouri, he's allowed now to be paid by all of the NIL stuff that he's going to be getting in terms of the packages from Mizzou. So they do matter a little bit because if you end up taking that money, you may have to give it back if you don't end up at the University of Missouri. So it matters. Maybe not 100%, but it it does end up mattering a little bit. Yeah, and I think to Alex's point of you probably got a three- to five-year window here. You can't have have a dud of a year. You you just cannot because you're going to be able to – you should be able to recruit with the NIL rules that are now available to the University of Missouri – and you're able to keep in your home talent, now it's just upon building upon that. Because it's one thing to recruit, and this was my biggest criticism of Drink coming into the year, is it is one thing to recruit, it's another thing to win with those recruits. And right now he's doing both. And that is the biggest thing is, can you continue to recruit? Yeah, and how? what is the biggest push to recruiting? There is NIL now involved, but it's winning. Pe- kids want to go play for winners. They don't want to be just sitting at the bottom of the SEC and getting shellacked every weekend when they play games. 100%. No, they want to be what Mizzou is right now, which is contending for a chance to be able to go down to Atlanta, Georgia, and go play for an SEC championship. By the way, that last line in his story where he says... Um, this better not be ripping on Illinois. Will you read the <laughs> Illinois one again to me, please? Like Illinois, where I live, top talent <laughs> is always going to leave the state. That's just a given. Um, be able, in we fact, fix this. a commitment from Wingo <laughs> could cause a tsunami that changes college rosters across the nation. There has been a little bit of buzz. It's kind of murmuring under the surface right now. There are some kids from the St. Louis area who are very interested in maybe coming back home. Maybe a little interested. Are there any Illinois kids that are interested in coming back home? Maybe a little interested in coming back home. (laughs) Maybe some kids from Bama. Maybe some kids from Georgia, the one that left. Dominic Lovett comes back again. (laughs) He's already already transferred. His one free transfer is gone. Um, There's... 
Notre Dame. If Missouri continues to have success this year, the roster could look a little different again next season. And I'm not just talking about with the recruiting wins that they're getting right now from high school kids. You could end up seeing some kids that previously were like, I need to go elsewhere to have success in college to compete, to contend at a place like Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame. Some of those kids may now be looking at it and saying to themselves, hey, I'm on the two deep, three deep here. I'm not going to start next year. Would I rather go to Missouri where I might be able to contend right now and start be a contributing member for my home state school on a contending team? That's the kind of thing that a season like this could change. And it's why getting Ryan Wingo matters. It's why getting Williams Winery mattered. It's why getting Luther Burden was huge. It completely changed the landscape of the future of Missouri football. And if you're able to beat Georgia, dude, if you can just win that game. Oh, buddy. Now we're that's, really cooking with some gas. That's where the tsunami really comes Oh, in. yeah, that's where Because not only do you lands. get a win potentially if Wingo commits today of, hey, look, we kept another five-star in-state recruit. Then you beat Georgia Everybody with, without wants, even him. Everybody wants there, him. There's the true tsunami. Because you've become the cream of the crop in the SEC East. Like when you take down Georgia, and look, I understand it's one game and Georgia's still going to be successful just like Alabama, but you've put yourself in the conversation with those three teams. You've spread yourself, you've distanced yourself away from all of those other middle-tier teams in the SEC East. It comes down to that and getting these commits. It was always a matter of can you keep these kids home. Missouri football and Missouri basketball, they have a unique opportunity to pull from two huge metropolitan areas that do have real football and basketball talent in Kansas City and in St. Louis. And now you've got some prep schools around the area for basketball that are starting to produce some significant talent as well. If you can keep those kids home, you can contend. But it was always so incredibly difficult to convince those kids, hey, it is in your best interest to stay here. Because how can you say that when I could go to Ohio State and end up winning a national championship and getting drafted into the first round? Kind of hard to tell Ezekiel Elliott or Jameson Williams, some of these kids like, hey, you should come here over going to Bama or Alabama or Georgia. How do you do it now? Now you've got a little bit of a an incentive, both in terms of the money and now the winning as well. You add that together. Got some stuff that's starting to build at the University of Missouri. All right. By the way, I do want to give a lot of credit to Desiree Reed-Francois. We've given a lot of credit to Eli Drinkwitz, to Dennis Dennis Gates. Desiree Reed-Francois, one, is in place to keep those guys there, and two, is in place to make sure that the money is available, which is a big piece of all of what we're talking about right now. Coming up next, speaking of the money available, do the Brewers have any of it? Maybe not for the roster. Definitely not for the manager. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Craig Council in a Brewers uniform alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, will join us here in just a little bit. But Alex, it was reported this morning the Mets have received permission to interview Craig Council for their manager job. 
The Brewers had initially indicated that they would not grant this permission. Council's contract was going to have to set, uh, expire, which is going to happen within the next month or so. They have now changed course. The Mets are planning to interview him for that position. Now, this report also added that it is expected that Council will explore other opportunities, including staying with the Brewers. The Mets are also going to interview other candidates. This is not a done deal. It feels like one of those things where there's probably a rule within the Major League Baseball guidelines where they're required to interview multiple people. I think this is going to happen. If I had to guess, I would guess Craig Council probably going to be the next manager for the New York Mets. If it does, Alex, if we go down that path, what does this mean for the Brewers? Start it with me, T-Bone. Blow it up. Blow it up. Blow it up. How do you how do you act like you lose, in my opinion, the key component of that team being successful over the last few seasons, you lose that and sit here and act like, yeah, we could stay competitive. Now I got, you still have Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, although he's not playing next year and you've got a great bullpen that includes Devin Williams, but you only got what? One more year of Corbin Burns, one more year of Brandon Woodruff. And then you're going to have to really pay them. And other than that, like we're talking about under contract next year, with the exception of arbitration, Christian Yelich, Wade Miley, Freddie Peralta. Now you've got some good, talented young players in your system. Yeah, woohoo! Sounds like the Cardinals going into this upcoming season. Like you've got talented young prospects that are top players. You've got pieces in place. I don't know. I look at the Milwaukee Brewers and say, if I'm them, I, I, I seriously consider starting this rebuild because I can get a haul for Corbin Burns. I can probably get significant pieces back and maybe a couple of guys in my bullpen and let's start from scratch. Let's build on to these younger players that I've got because without Craig Consul, this team doesn't have an identity. Yeah, I, I'm curious to know if they're going to go rebuild route or retool route. And the difference for me would be like instead of trading burns for prospects, you look for guys that are like fringe major leaguers, like they're looking for a Gabri- the guy we talked about earlier, the Mon- Montero, the catcher for the Diamondbacks. Moreno. Moreno, sorry. Montero, I'll sing of the guy in like the early 2010s. Uh, but I wonder if that's something they'll try to do. Is they trade some of their pieces that are, hey, we can get something for them, but they kind of make it a retool rather than a rebuild. But yeah, I think this tells you all you need to know. I think it's twofold. I think one council wanted to be one of the highest paid managers in baseball, as he probably should be. I think he's one of the best in Major League Baseball. And the Brewers said, whoa, 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 we don't spend money on talent, let alone a manager. And then, two, I think he got the the idea of it's going to be a rebuild or a retool. And he doesn't want to go through it, and, and nor should he, considering how good he is as a manager. So what's he going to do? He's going to interview with the Mets job. I think you're right. I think he probably takes it. But I am fascinated to know what Milwaukee does, because there will be a ton of pieces that they have that people will be interested in. Uh, Burns is going to be one of them. Devin Williams will be another. They will probably explore moving both of those guys. So I, I'm fascinated to know what their offseason looks like because they're, I don't think they're going to be a team that is going to be contending for the NL Central next year, for se. The surprise is not that Milwaukee is having to do this. The surprise is that they kept it together as long as they did. Yeah. Seven straight years in terms of the full seasons, take away the pandemic season in 2020, weird year. Um, seven straight years of 86 plus wins. That is really hard to accomplish in a market like Milwaukee, man. In fact, it's it's nearly impossible. Like Milwaukee and Tampa are two of the only places that have been able to have this kind of sustained success at that level of a market. And they're doing it with a payroll that's hovering around what? 120, 130 million dollars. It's not like they're out there spending a ton of money year to year. They've got Christian Yelich, who signed long-term, but otherwise, man, you've got Corbin Burns on the final year of his deal, Willie Adamas' final year of his deal, Brandon Woodruff' final year of his deal. You are running out of runway. 
these are the guys that have made this recent run possible for you. I think it's time to get out from underneath some of those contracts. It's time to start the retool. I don't think this is going to be a rebuild. I don't think they're going to be terrible for like a seven-year stretch the way that Pittsburgh has, the way that we've seen at times from um, from Cincinnati in the past. I think it'll be relatively quick, kind of similar to what the Chicago Cubs have done recently, where it was like two or three years of not being great. But it is going to be hard because this is a fan base that has become accustomed to winning. And without Craig Council there, without David Stearns in that chair anymore as the president of baseball operations, I know it's been a year, but only a year. We haven't seen yet what it looks like with Arnold as the the primary guy making big time decisions. I think you're about to see them go through a bit of a retool. See, I feel like it might be longer than that because Milwaukee has just historically been a team that's not been willing to pay a lot of money for talent. They have been making some big moves, though. Like, they had CC Sabathia that they brought in at the deadline. They ended up trading for Yelich and then kept him long-term. Like, yeah. they, they're willing to spend on a couple of guys. I mean, they've got right now under contract Woodruff and um, Burns making big-time money they, next they year. See, they scream like Cardinals, though, in terms of, like, they're willing to spend money on, like, two guys, two oh, or three right. guys, and then the rest is just, well, we internally will figure it out. But that's the case for most teams, man. There's a, I, I'd say there's, like, 12 teams that actually spend big on but, a bunch of different players. They're kind of like Arizona or, like, those other mid-tier markets where, yeah, you're going to spend on a few different guys, but there is a legitimate budget that's in place where, hey, you can't go over this, and if you try to, like, we're going to have to move some of these other guys but it around. seems like they're spending it on the wrong guys and like now you've the brewers i'm not i'm like in the past like you've gotten the right guys with corbin burns and brandon woodruff like those guys but now you've allocated all of these this money to christian yelich as that top dog i think that that's unfortunate though he just he had a back injury yeah. and yeah. i, mean, I don't think there's anything that you can do though. about that yeah sometimes it just doesn't work but I, I didn't mind that contract for them. I thought it was a pretty good one, honestly. They Like you said, he just won MVP. And this year, by the way, Christian Yelich was good. He wasn't great, but he was pretty darn good. 25% above league average. He kind of got back to being a really solid player again. The problem is he can't be the best player on your team yeah. for a championship and, contender. And the issue they ran into is they just didn't develop anything else offensively. I mean, everybody else on that lineup, like they had to trade for Adamas, and Adamas had like an okay year, but he's just a, he's like an average piece. And he's hitting fourth for him. Telez is hitting like cleanup for him. Santana they had to trade for and clean up for him. The problem is, is they kind of fell into that pendulum swing where they had all this pitching, but they could never develop that bat to equal out a good team. They just never had that. I've got it. I've got some breaking news for you. Oh, is Craig Council going to be the manager? Mike of the Schilt, New York the manager Mets? of the Padres. No, it is Cardinals related though. Oh, Yadier Molina, bench coach. Congratulations. Cardinals just made a move. Who do we claim off of waivers? <laughs> Who do we sign to a contract extension? Did we bring back. Did they DFA James Nail again? Oh God! They added another infielder voice. And of course, look at the picture that they used. <laughs> oh, I haven't even seen this. Who is it? I want to know. This is, the, hold on, hold on. This is the prototypical Cardinals move. They, the player that they have acquired. The picture that they used is from the team that is in the World Series currently 100%. that did not play last season for that team. Correct. Way to go, Wait, he, play, he played for him this year. He's going to get a World Series ring, in fact. Oh, so World Series <laughs> champion coming to the Cardinals. Buddy what the, Kennedy. What the hell's the point of this move? Oh, our 40-man roster is now at 40. Now you're not going to be able to make any moves. Former fifth-round draft pick this year in the <laughs> minors. Had an OPS of 900 in, in the, the PCL. He oh, then God. was moved to Oakland where he didn't play quite as well. Um, but when he was in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, my dude had a 318 batting average and slugged 485, put up, put together a, a really nice season. Hold on. Hold on. Did he even play in Oakland? No. He's in the minors. He didn't even make it to the Oakland days in their minor leagues. Can I tinfoil real quick? 
They're trading I, somebody? I, I think they make this move if they're looking to move a Sajasi. Or uh, who was the other one they got at the deadline this past year? Preto. I wonder if this is a, hey, Sajasi and Preto were depth pieces for us, but we may need to move them to go get a pitcher. Maybe it's just whatever. Like I think it's getting the forty million dollars you, you, you don't think that they're playing uh, chess while we're no. playing checkers? No. I, I think it's a really smart move. Like I think it's a smart this move. This guy could absolutely help you next year in the in Triple A as a depth piece. I think they're yeah. playing. He's not somebody that's going to make any sort of like meaningful difference to your team. I don't yeah, think. I think you could find that guy on a minor league deal that doesn't be, block a forty man. This is their Adolis Garcia. Oh, they got him. They I, got him. I think they're playing checkers, and Michael Gersh is like, "Mo, we're playing Monopoly. They're not even playing the right game right now." Chris Carver, the voice of the Blues, next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bring out the Zamboni! It's time for Curbside with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined now by Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs is joining us live from beautiful Calgary, Canada, Ontario. Where's Calgary at? Which province is Calgary? Calgary, Alberta, man. Alberta. Good God. He's up in Alberta where he's watching the blues practice today. Kerbs, how you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, we're sitting at the, uh, their Olympic practice facility, Hockey Canada's facility. There's like four rinks here and just outside is the old E jumps and, and, and the runs from the 1988 Olympics that are still in use. The one that made uh, Eddie the Eagle famous, which you guys have probably had to look up. But uh, uh, really cool facility here. They, they got an indoor luge track, like a little an ice indoor luge track here. So it's not hard to wonder why Canada is so good at the Olympic sports. It makes sense. I'll have to go check out Calgary, Canada some point. <laughs> It's like, yeah. saying, it's like saying the beautiful St. Louis, North America. No, St. Louis, United States. It's basically the same thing. Oh, beautiful Calgary, Canada. <laughs> I had a brain melt. I was like, wait, which province is that? It's, it's got to be uh, Ontario, right? <laughs> We're right there. with like basically opposite side of Canada, but curves St. Louis, Maine. That's what I've always said. All right. so uh, Al- Alberta beef. Just remember, Alberta beef. Yeah. Uh, wh- what is it? 12 degrees? Degrees up there today, Curbs? A balmy 12 uh, degrees. Yeah, covering around 11. Nice. nice. Good. Good. Wait, wait. Just put one right off of Jordan or Joe Holper's mask. Ouch. <laughs> um, that, yeah, no, it was 11 degrees. Listen, it wasn't too bad in Winnipeg. It was in the 30s to 40s, and we landed in the plains. You know, we're starting to land in Calgary last night about 12, about 1230 uh, here local time. And you're going, God, it even just looks cold outside. You know, there was that, that, that cold foggy haze over the ground you know part of it was snowing and you're like holy moly it's winter up here i can't wait to go to a rodeo uh, while you're there curbs no 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 that's that's the summer stampede that happens but i was just talking to troy brower who lives up about about 10 minutes from here of course he's part of blues management and uh we were talking about halloween up here and he goes the kids have to have two different costumes the one costume for indoors, and then the one when they go trick-or-treating so they get their winter coat underneath it. Good God. They could all be stay-puffed marshmallows for Halloween and just walk around with those coats on. That is exactly what I said. Ghostbusters <laughs> is a popular outfit up here, apparently. Damn it, Curbs. You and I have worked together for too long coming up with that one. 
Yeah, don't worry about it. We'll find you'll, you'll try to name some line and we'll fix that closeness. Yeah, that's All right, very Chris, true. We've spent two and a half minutes uh, filibustering before because you to said talk Calgary, Canada. No, you're right. You're right. I did that on purpose. That way we wouldn't have to spend too much time on what happened. Too last shady, night. you. Curbs, is this offense salvageable? And if so, what needs to happen for that to take place? Yeah, I think it is. I think you just got to like simply put, bury your chances. I mean, think of two breakaways for Jordan Cairo last night, uh, an open net for Brandon Saad, another whiff on a one-timer. And uh, even if two of those go in, we're probably not worried about the offense today. We're probably talking about a Blues win. If, if nothing else, at worst, we're talking about an overtime game again. So, um, yeah, you're cons- look, more so than the scoring, it's just the chances, you know, to, to only get four shots on goal in a period, three in a period, six in a period. That's just not enough. So um, they've got to generate more. And, you know, there were three or four glorious opportunities to that we think the guys missed opportunities to shoot. Nick Letty, for one, came down the wing and did it. So, you, you know, they're, they're missing some opportunities to shoot the puck, to go in for that one extra pass. And I think, they, I think some of these guys got to get a little more selfish and just start pumping it to the goal. Curbs, do you feel like, and it's five games in, and I'm sure Craig Brewery is going to want to maintain kind of some consistency, but at some point do you look at maybe shuffling up all four lines to just get a different feel so that you can try a different chemistry? Well, I don't have to speculate at this point. Watching what they just ran in practice here, uh, looks like the four lines are going to remain uh, pretty much the same. The only change we could see based on what we're seeing here is it looks as if uh, it's going to be Marco Scandella paired up with Robert Bortuzzo tomorrow night. That's the two, you know, and because uh, they've got Varunovic skating with Tucker right now. So um, uh, that looks like it, that'll be the pairing that we'll see, the only change we'll see. So the, the thing of it is, Alex, I don't know that there's a whole lot of, you know, different opportunities. You know, do you put Jake Neighbors in that top six? You know, I, I like the way he's working and, and kind of coming along. Uh, I, I don't think I, – I wouldn't mind changing up a power play unit. I wouldn't mind seeing Verona on that top power play unit with his shot, to be honest with you. I'd just like to see more Verona so, in general, Curbs. Yeah, well, and, and that's the challenge. Now, the, the interesting part about that, Brandon, is when you start to look at the minutes and how it goes, you know, do you get more production, less production, depending on the minutes played. But, yeah, at some point in time, does does Verona move up into the top six? Now, had had Buchnevich's injury been longer term, I think there's a chance at some point you would have seen that. Well, with Pavel coming back, and he looked tentative in the first period last night. looked like he didn't want to get contact, but he definitely got more comfortable that better as the game went on. Uh, and then, obviously, had an impact with two points in the game. But I think had you seen Pavel Buchnevich out longer, you, you might have had your wish. So, Curbs, we had this conversation earlier in the uh, in the show. Do you feel like the Blues have enough game-breakers on the team to get this offense back to what we expected it to be? Well, Craig Berube is absolutely losing his mind right now, barking on the ice. That's fantastic. Um, this is, this is, we're, we're broadcasting practice live. I know. Here, I so love it. There's, there's passion out there. Um, uh, do they have – look, you know what? In, in, in all honesty – they don't have that one guy, I don't think, at the moment that could change the game of the snap of a wrist like Vladimir Tarasenko did for so many years. That's truly what they're what they're missing uh, in, in one avenue. Now, I think if Jordan Kyra can become that, guys, i got to tell you, I, and, and I don't know if I'm on my own island, I haven't had a chance to talk with the coaches and do a deeper dive on this one. I, 
for, for being a lightning rod of a player a lot last season, especially, you know, with his defensive effort, I, I think Jordan Cairo has really done a good job this year on a lot We're of that. With you on and, that one. Um, totally agree. Yeah, so, you know, so can he become that guy? I, I think he is. I think there's another level of creativity with the hockey puck to see from Jordan Cairo at some point in time. And then, more importantly, guys, uh, maybe that, that, that game breaker or that change you're talking about, it's just got to be better execution between Robert Thomas and Cairo and his line mates. I mean, sometimes these passes are hot. They're not flat. And uh, I think there's just got to be all around better opportunity there. And if that happens, it solves your problem. Curves, we'll get you out of here on this. We just got another minute or two. What have you thought of Robert Thomas to start to the season? Uh, just okay. But like I was just saying, I think there's an opportunity for him to, to – uh, make better plays, uh, you know, when, when you take shots and they go up and they miss and he does the banner reader, you know, I'd like I'd like to see less of that and just a little more confidence in his play even when they miss the net. But um, there, there's clearly a lot more to Robert's game. Curbs, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself up there in beautiful Calgary, Canada, and we'll talk with you again soon. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, can't, can't wait to get home to beautiful St. Louis, United States. There It'll go. be great. Thank you. Thank you. Good to talk with you as always. That's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, one of the best in the business, joining us as he does each and every Wednesday here on 101 ESPN. You idiot. Calgary, Canada. Oh, that got me so I'm good. disappointed he's not going to rodeo. I'm sure there's something going well, he on. He said it's there. a summertime thing. You think you're doing a damn rodeo when it's 11 yeah, degrees outside? Everything's indoors. <laughs> That's true. I mean, when you're in Calgary, Canada. I don't know Canada. why it would change if you're doing a rodeo inside. Well, the bulls are cold, man. I mean, keep them indoors. Well, maybe it's cold indoors. If it's 11 degrees outside, it's got to be cold inside. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. And you he, think Curbs is cold right now? No. Probably, yeah. My so, man has a, a nice coat on. I guarantee he's wearing four layers right now. Jamie probably doesn't wear any layers while he's up there. Oh, he's no. just like... <laughs> Jamie lived great. in... I think Jamie probably walks around in his Speedo in this weather. You think he's even got the Speedo on? No, Come God, on, no. <laughs> Standing in front of the mirror with the curtains open. If you missed anything from today's Canada! show, be sure to check out the <laughs> podcast page. Calgary, Canada! Da, 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 da. Uh, 101ESPN.com and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Uh, by the way, we've been presented on YouTube on the Air Alliance team cams so far today. So if you missed anything, you can also check it out there. 101 STL is where you go to find it. Uh, you can always watch us on YouTube during the show or afterwards. You can go b- back and rewatch everything. T-Bone does a great job of being able to mark through of what the segments were. So if you were like, ah, I missed, missed this specific segment, go back and uh, listen to it that way. You can this hear segment. about how Illinois never gets the in-state yeah. recruits well, if you go back to the That won't be on there, but that this segment will be labeled BK Learns About Calgary, Canada. <laughs> BK Learns Geography. <laughs> <laughs> Geometry, right? With the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. (laughs) Alex. Brandon. Today's been a tough day talking about your beloved blues. It's been all right, though, man. I've powered through. The emotional side of it has uh, kind of moved on, and now I'm focused on the next game. All I'm going to say is that I like looking at numbers. I like looking at the black and white of the sheet and finding out, okay, is this real? Is what we're watching sustainable? Is it good? Is it bad? Where are we at? And the Blues have 120 shots through the first five games of the season, which is the fewest that they've had through five games since 2005. They've only had that few two times in the entirety of their franchise history through five games. By the way, this is at five on five. 1978, they ended up with the number two overall pick after that season. And 2005, which they ended up with the number one overall pick. I'm genuinely worried about this team. They have 10 goals through five games. That is the third worst mark in franchise history. The last time they were that bad through 10 games was 1990. The offense is a legitimate concern to me. Now, we'll give them credit. I think the defense has been a lot better. 
And most importantly, Jordan Bennington has been outstanding to start out the season. You couldn't ask for him to be any better. There's one goal last night you probably want back. Other than that, I haven't said that a single other time so far this season, which is pretty damn impressive. This offense, I don't know if it's salvageable. I heard what Curbs had to say. I hope he ends up being right. But through five games, I have not gotten a whole lot of signs that that's going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, the chances are the part that's probably most concerning through all of this. Like, you talk about how this team can score goals, but we're also talking about the chances that they're getting, and it's a lot of one and dones. And I just wanted to, to look at this. 1977, you said, was the year? 78. 78. So that year was, I mean, they were... Their roster at best was a 22-year-old Bernie Federko, and then the 2005 roster, like we were talking about a team that was down to its bare minimum studs to try and figure it out. So those teams didn't have the, the game breakers. Sure. This this team does. Does it? That's, I what, think, I, that's what I think we're going to learn. And we're that's gonna, what we're going to find out. then they're going to be okay. And if Robert Thomas is the player that they think he is, he's going to help. If Jordan Cairo is the player they think he is, that's going to help. If they can get Pavel Buchnevich back and healthy, that's going to help a lot. If they get more ice time for Yakub Verana and we feel like he's that guy. You've got the pieces in place. It's just this is the season to prove it to the Blues. 100%. And Jordan Cairo has proved it in the past. Robert Thomas has proved it in the past, but not as the number one guys. Now is when you have to show that you're the top dogs. Corsi rating is not the end-all be-all. I think it can be overstated sometimes. Basically, if you're curious what it means, it's how often are you controlling the puck? How yeah. often are you in the offensive zone? It's more complex than that, but that's the simplest way to put it. This year, the Blues have a 39% Corsi rating, which means, on average, the opposing team has the puck. They're generating offense themselves. About 61% of the time. That is the worst Corsi rating that they've had through five games over the last decade. And it's the worst by a wide margin. The previous worst was 44%, and that was last year through the first five games of the season. I just want to see them be able to generate a little more offense, man. I understand that you're going to be in your own zone more because of the way that you're playing defensively. I get that. But you've got to be able to create and then sustain that ozone time. Get the cycle game going a little bit. They've, They've got players to do it, I think, I just need to see it. I read a piece from uh, Joe Haggerty of the Boston Bruins because they're off to a 6-0 start, which nobody saw coming when you lose Bergeron and Krejci. And Brad Marchand talked about how it's five-man support. That Every time we're in the offensive zone, we know that two guys are behind the one player going after the puck. I haven't seen that yet this season with the exception of the Pittsburgh Penguins game. You get back to that, Corsi rating is going to go up, and we're talking about more offense. He's Alex. That's T-Bone. I'm BK. Jamie Rivers is going to be joining the show live from Calgary, Canada, coming up here in just a little bit. You guys can listen to us again. Again, tomorrow hopefully we'll be celebrating the commitment of ryan wingo feels like this one's getting a little weird fingers crossed that that ends up being the case for yeah, the university yeah, of yeah, missouri yeah. we'll break that all down tomorrow at 11 a.m the fast lane's coming up next here on 101 espn you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn